an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy Priestner and Martin Holmes. Hello and welcome back to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. Hello. 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 How are you doing? I'm good. Um, good. And we've just had a little chat before we came on about how how difficult this time is. <laughs> but um, but somehow, for me personally, I'm finding putting time into this podcast is quite helpful as a distraction apart from anything else. But also it keeps my mind ticking over about things and it, it's a window into worlds of of things happening outside of lockdown. So <laughs> oh, yeah. it's, it's it's we're keeping busy, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> um I would like to start with a review. For we have received a review. Good lord. Someone's actually know. listened to this. Well, I think quite a few people have listened to it, um, definitely over 300 at the time of recording. I know that might not sound like a lot, but when you start to think about those people sitting, listening to it, it is actually quite staggering that anyone is listening to your voice in a way. Sometimes I get this moment where I'm like, wow, that's great. Um, but we're, we're still new. We've only been around for a month. That's true. Yeah. Um, obviously not at the point this goes out. That'll confuse me. Anyway. <laughs> That would be venerable by then, ancient. Yes, the review runs thusly. Whimsical, discursive and well-informed. A charming and most welcome beacon of intelligent nostalgia. Crikey. Intelligent nostalgia. Gosh. (laughs) That may be my my best ever review. (laughs) This is from Feeksby65. Thank you, Feeksby65. We don't know who you are, but we love the bones of you. Indeed. (laughs) Oh, yes. I've been reading that book. <laughs> what book's that? The, the, I, I love the bones of you. It's, it's uh, Christopher Eccleston's ah, uh, memoir. Oh, I see. Yes, of course it is. I just thought it was memorable. Um, mm. Yeah, so we've had a few five-star reviews as well, which is nice. None of those horrible four or th- three-star ones that sometimes creep in on iTunes so far. <laughs> But there's time. There is time. Yeah. So I think I'm sure some, early days. You know. So I'm sure some people will take against me after the GBH episode. Well, so. I can say, it's, it's some, sometimes you you, th- you think you're you're doing something that people will be interested in, and then it turns out that they uh, 
they aren't. Are not. But, <laughs> but you'd like to think, well, you give them the opportunity. They don't like fine. I mean, that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, it's uh, uh, the GBH is, is it's going to well by now it will be out. But uh, it's, I think it's going to it's going to be interesting the reaction to it. Yeah, I think so. So it's, it's not that we're doing that deliberately. It's just that you know you didn't like it. <laughs> hey, let's not pretend. No, I think that's putting it mildly. The um, interesting thing about GBH, which crossed my mind though, and here we go, because yeah. this is to make it relevant to what we're talking about today, <gasps> is yes. that uh, today we are going to be talking about uh, Malcolm Bradbury's The History Man, which was adapted for BBC in the early 1980s. Yeah. But the thing that interests me is Malcolm Bradbury's novel uh, was adapted by somebody else, and we talked in GBH about uh, GBH originally starting as a novel. And mm. some some part of me thinks maybe had that happened and it had been adapted by somebody else, we might have liked it more. And just ah, you know, possibly it just just crossed my mind because uh, we've talked for a while about um, doing a, a looking at the drama of an adaptation. Yes, uh, you know something like Jane Eyre or or some Dickens or something, and then it turns out that the very next thing we're doing is a Malcolm yeah. Bradbury book which has been adapted for television. So hey. Yeah. We're in the right place. We've actually so. somehow stumbled across a sort of plan. Yeah. Although I would just like to say I, I'm not interested. I have no truck with any defence of GBH. <laughs> However, you spell it out. <laughs> I, I just think that maybe if somebody else had actually written the screenplay, it might have. It might yeah. have. It might have. Yeah, I, I, uh, I hard. I, as the kids say, I hard disagree with you. Anyway, <laughs> the, oh, the other thing actually about that is I was having a conversation with a friend of mine at the weekend about yep. the fact that we were podcasting and ha and we didn't hadn't we'd not enjoyed GBH and yeah. uh, that has uh, uh, inspired him to listen or watch I should say um, Boys from the Black stuff. Oh, okay, and which is being very much enjoyed. So even you know talking about something in the negative sense can actually yeah. You know, um, set somebody off off on a different path. So, so you know, there may be there, there's probably very good Bleasdale out there. Uh, I know that you're not interested in ever ever seeing no, any no. of it. No, no, I'm actually I'm actually really intrigued to see Boys from the Black stuff mm. now. Actually, well, so Alphabet then, Two, yes, exactly. Or maybe <laughs> ser maybe Series Three. <laughs> uh, Let's yeah. not get carried away. Yeah, okay. um, so. Shall I fill in some behind-the-scenes detail on The History Man? I think you should. Yeah, OK. So it was written by Malcolm Bradbury. It's his most famous and celebrated novel. Um, Bradbury wrote a lot of novels in the 70s and 80s, but he also, strangely, well, not strangely, unusually wrote a lot for TV. He was one of these writers who wrote as many TV, as, as much TV as he, as he did novels. Mm -hmm. um, he was an academic and he worked at, I think it was University of East Anglia in Norwich. So very much one of these glass and steel universities as opposed to the red brick universities and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the biggies. So the, he's, his, some of his novels are campus novels, as they're known. Um, it was the, this adaptation was written by Christopher Hampton. Mm -hmm. And Christopher Hampton was um, quite a celebrated writer in his own right. He also, his famous films are Dangerous Liaison, or Le Liaison Dangereuse. And ah, très bien. Yeah, oui. And Atonement. <laughs> and he also worked on the script of Carrington. It was like a lifelong thing that he wrote. Mm. He eventually got Carrington out there, mm -hmm. which was the Lytton Strachey thing. Yeah. So, 
The History Man, uh, mm. produced by Michael Waring, who mm-hmm. we, we are familiar with already, Edge of Darkness, indeed, and Boys from the Black Stuff. Shh, <laughs> 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 quiet. And the director get, is Robert... Get back, Bleasdale. Get in your box. Yes, get in your away. box. Stop it. <laughs> get back in the Bleasdale box. We might let him out again next time. <laughs> I think I might put in a sound effect of padlocking. Ah. Uh, um, then we have the director, Robert Knights, who... His name wasn't familiar to me, but then I realised I've watched quite a lot of his stuff. Um, Porterhouse Blue, Mosley... Right. And the glit- the glittering prizes from the mid seventies, which is another academic interesting um, one. Yeah. So there was a kind of uh, circle of of these directors who did everything, but but we never really learned their names. I mean, you know, again, I suppose uh, you know our own personal history is we know the directors, we know who did certain things. <laughs> what we, what we mean by that is Doctor Who. Yeah, if they didn't direct Doctor Who, they didn't count almost. Uh, well, we we just you know we may we, they, they may not be as familiar to us. <laughs> yes, which is. It's not, I mean, it's these directors, they're never, whenever I talked to any of them back in the day when I was doing that sort of stuff, they were always mm. really thrilled to be remembered at all, even if yes. it was just for a Doctor Who, so. Well, there is a, a thing about, you know, very few people these days even get to see the credits, but uh, oh, exactly. there, there was a generation that sat there and read every credit and wrote it all down, and, and we are very grateful to them. Mm. So, should mm. we do a synopsis? I think we ought. I'm going to read the synopsis from BBC's Genome, if I may, because I liked it. October 1972. Nixon's America, Heath's England. Petrol is 36p a gallon. Howard and Barbara Kirk, fashionable Watermouth University's well-known progressive couple, are throwing one of their celebrated parties. Another fresh term. New faces to radicalise. Old issues and adversaries to be confronted. History needs some action. And Howard has just the scheme for an autumn of disruption. Wow. Very poetic. It's nice, isn't it? I like yes. that. I thought, yeah. So that was obviously written for the Radio Times. Indeed. Does, does it like... actually match the thing we watched? Because um, that's always the it, thing, I isn't it? it? I think that does gives, the blurb uh, match the novel? You know? I don't think it, it does, mm. in the sense that if you knew that going into it, it mm. would make you feel differently about episode one. And I think if I'd read that clipping beforehand, mm. it would have made me feel differently. Because I was, all the way through episode one, I was very much thinking... What the heck is this about? (laughs) So, yeah, anyway. So the actual story takes place over four episodes. Uh, The first episode is basically a party. Yeah. The second and third episodes are a day in the life of the university, Mm -hmm. uh, the morning and the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And then the evening, uh, sorry, the fourth episode is basically the aftermath, (laughs) for want of a better word. So I think probably it helps to extend the synopsis from Genome and say... Mm -hmm. Howard Kirk is a sociology academic. He's a philanderer. He's sexually all over the place. (laughs) He's also very much into control and power. He has lots of conquests, students, fellow academics. Um, He's in a sort of open relationship with his wife, although that's not entirely clear. Mm. And it's about his, the way he, his actions impact upon people and the people around him, and he's kind of like the eye of a storm, really. Mm. And it's about lots of other themes, including sex, privacy, history, story. Yeah. Garlic bread and wine, really. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
and minivans. Yeah. In, like in and minivans, yes, yes. Minivans, which really yeah. took me back because my mum had a, a blue minivan like that oh, right. back in the back in the. <laughs> and now you're looking at it in a slightly different way. <laughs> oh God, no! I don't want to. <laughs> They were actually quite popular. I, be- I believe uh, mm. my, my better half's dad had one as well. So, yeah. <laughs> they were the thing to have in the 70s. So where would you like to start, Martin? Well, um, let me think. There's um, I, I, what, what gets me about the History Man is I remember, I remember it on first transmission. I remember really quite enjoying it. I remember that uh, I, I went out a few years later and bought the book, which I have in front of me. Ah. So I've actually read I read the book later because I had fond memories of the um, the television adaptation, and it's oh. also one of those things, strangely enough, that I used to um, I used to uh, do artwork based on in the sense that ah, uh, you, wow. uh, the the um, the Anthony Share uh, Howard Kirk character I I think I attempted in one of my art projects to do a, you know a, a cover or a cover illustration for it. While Please I was at tell college. me you've still got it. Please tell me you've still got it. Uh, it's probably buried, buried in the deep, oh, dark depths. But I do, re- I do remember very much uh, drawing him as a character. So it, it was, it was. Uh, he obviously had, he had an influence, you know. Now the interesting yeah. thing to me is that uh, uh, this would have been on television about a year before I uh, went to college, went to art college. Uh, so in many mm. ways, my idea of what university was like was probably shaped very much by watching this. Yes. <laughs> and then and ha- my experience yeah. at university was nothing like this whatsoever. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. All the sex was not Martin's. Uh, no, uh, I, I believe Howard had used it all up. <laughs> well, that's your defence. Howard had had it all. There was uh, none left. <laughs> Brilliant. So was was there any aspect of it that felt accurate to your experience of art college it's interesting to me because the the nature of the uh parties and the nature of the people in it uh very much reminded me of a group of people i did know um later on in life Mm. and and i I, i've been to these parties and i've hated them you know (laughs) (laughs) but i have been to these parties. this is not my this would not be my lifestyle choice, but I knew people who, when they had a house party, basically, this all seems terribly familiar. Hmm. Okay. I also, I also suspect uh, there's a character which uh, we haven't talked about yet uh, called Henry, and I suspect in many ways I am Henry. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> okay, Henry, played by Paul Brooke. Yes. There is a, there is a, there is an interesting thing also about book adaptations is that sometimes a character who exists on the page uh, somehow doesn't work as a character in a drama. And I, okay. am, am I am I getting that across here? I I, I, I am I getting my point across? I I sort of feel sometimes that ciphers and caricatures sometimes on the page can be quite funny but then when you actually see them in real life you think these people cannot function in the world right so are you talking about kirk uh i'm talking generally about no i i I think kirk as a character is very well realized and very well portrayed by uh anthony share you know yeah it's just that sometimes the 
the other sort of peripheral characters okay. you kind of think are they're more not is it one is one note the expression I'm looking for yeah yeah. Very, yeah 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 they one are dimension. they are there yeah. to be the the uh, troubled ex-wife or the you know they don't sort of have a wider existence in the world maybe if you argue that they they all exist in relation to Howard and therefore exactly that's exactly what I was about what to you say see. yes I think it's deliberate in the dramatization that they're all satellites going around his son yes and I think that's that's part of um, a yeah a strategic narrative plan <laughs> and however did you find this place we squatted. They kept showing us all those two up, two down garden and garage jobs, but we just couldn't face them. This was scheduled for demolition. We fixed it up ourselves. Now the council has relented and actually rents it to us. They're hoping to reclaim the whole terrace. Amazing. It's the only place in this town worth living for a sociologist. You're right at the centre of all the real social problems. Also, it's very handy for the beach. Not to criticise the the adaptation at all. It's just that it's just sometimes you think you know, uh, I'd, I'd I'd like this person to turn around and go, oh, do sod off, <laughs> like yes. you know they would. Uh, yeah, but, I, I, would, uh, I think it's interesting having watched this after GBH because this, in comparison, is very bare because mm. it's four episodes of fifty minutes, which I was like, thank Christ. <laughs> <laughs> So which meant that it was like just yeah. a little over. Um, ne- next one. week we're doing the Wombles, one episode. Yeah. <laughs> so it's about four hours, a bit less than. <laughs> which compared to the endlessness of GBH, it was just like, oh, this is quite spare. There's n- we're going to get somewhere quite quickly, and mm. and yet it's it feels just as full of of import and, and moments and complexity. And moments. Yes, yes. yes. Like, exactly. So, and I think it comes back to that thing of. Um, brevity and the value of that so i up until very recently i wrote a column for Good Lord. for <laughs> i silly... need me bell again <laughs> <laughs> but it's for the professional magazine of the library association which is now called silip which no one understands what it means but it's the chartered institute of library and information professionals okay and i wrote a column and every column every month had to be 600 words right and i'm convinced that right more or less my, yes my 600 words was way better than if I tried to write about it in 1,200 words, which would be my preference. However, now I'm writing this book on the same topic, and mm. I'm terrified that I'm waffling, because <laughs> I know that when I cut things down to 600 words, it's always so much better. Uh, 600-word so, chapters. That's interesting. So, yes, yeah, so I'm really intrigued by this issue of, like, is it better if it's shorter? And I think it often is. Write, rewrite, edit, edit again, and uh, yes, th- yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, we we talked uh, on the GBH uh, piece about the necessity of a script editor, and and may, and and maybe you know, in this kind of shows that you know it, it actually, if you get it down to a, a, a more, you know, you, someone said, oh yeah, we could have done this in six episodes, but we want to do it in four. You know, you yes. tell a different story, uh, and it and it tells the book. I mean, it's apparently it's highly regarded as a very good adaptation, so. Even though yeah. lots of stuff is obviously cut, you know, but um, yeah. so it it must work, and it must work I, for readers of the book. You know. I'm intrigued that the book is written in the present tense, isn't mm. it? Indeed, Which I really struggle with. I remember I got an adaptation of the TV series This Life, and yes. it's all written like that, and I okay. put it down immediately because I couldn't cope with it. Uh, How could okay. you cope? Could you cope with Bradbury writing in this style of 
Howard does this, Howard does that. Does it, um, did it feel right when you read it? It, it didn't bother me. I, don't, I, don't, I certainly don't remember it bothering me at the time. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the other interesting thing about that is because it's set in 1972, but it was written in 1975, so it is, it is a, a past view of the present, if you see what I mean. Yes, yeah. And or that's a present view of the past, thing, or whichever, yeah. whichever way around yeah. that should be, you know. Um, so it, it, it's uh, it, it's it's obviously difficult because because he has a writing style and and again to try and get that immediacy onto the screen I get I think it does work very well I mean considering I mean I was thinking about this it's it's uh, it's made ten years nine years after it's set yes uh, or eight eight or nine years I suppose with delays whatever and uh, and it's set weirdly in the same era as Doomwatch was, if you think about it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, 1972 is is, yeah. is, is, is sort of peak D- uh, Doomwatch, which yeah. is, again, it's all, interesting. It's, it's because also the, the, the year I was born, so I ah, was had an, it, an added interest. But... <laughs> Carry on, Grandad. <laughs> well, then, won't we were sharing watch, but I... No, uh... No, it's what what gets me about it though is that because it's an adaptation of an era that we've watched recently on another uh, podcast. Yes. The the interesting thing about it is is how it doesn't quite match your image anymore. You know, the fashions they can't go quite that outrageous. No, exactly. The, the outrageousness. I mean, let's face it. Uh, Howard wears some hideous tank top um, jumpers with no with no shirt. Uh, can I which... confess? Can I confess that I actually liked his outfit? <laughs> Is that terrible? Uh, well, it, well, put it this way: had they been uh, Doctor Ridge's outfits, you might not have liked them as much. Yeah, I was thinking those sort of like those sort of tops with the buttons and quite tight fitting, and I'm thinking I could happily wear these this summer, actually. And I'm thinking, oh, now am I just being terribly vain there? But he's, there he's he's very much he's very of of the time. He's very trendy and he's very sharp, and yeah. and and he's and and obviously he want he wants to appeal to a large number of people, so. He puts a lot of effort into his appearance. I'm not. I'm not saying it's just that those tank tops particularly struck me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I, I keep saying I know we're not doing dress for success on this podcast, but <laughs> but we are. Yeah. <coughs> so I think we should talk about the title sequence. Oh, um, Liechtenstein or Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein. Yes, exactly. Influence. Yes. Yes. So um, it's deliberately bold in your face this is like we're doing something here mm. we're, we're being arresting this is bbc2 it's after mm. 10 o'clock we can do what the fuck we like here mm. and this is pop culture in your face yeah and of course yeah. uh, very much of of the time again i mean those those were the images that students had on their walls throughout the 70s you know yes so, yeah, yeah so it, it it's very immediate and from from a sort of an artistic point of view you get it straight away yeah. you know where you are and these are uh, basically redrawn cartoons which feature the actual main act- uh, actors in the episodes. And, yeah. yep, they are spot on. Uh, you then go into a, um, a slightly uh, bizarre disclaimer. <laughs> yes, have you got <laughs> At the, the beginning text of every of episode? <laughs> which is making it quite clear that this is not a real place. <laughs> yes. Except it is as well. In the yes, that, you know they also say you know. Uh, I, mean, I, you, I I haven't got the exact words in front of me. No. Maybe you have. No, I haven't. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's fine. But uh, it basically is saying this is this is a fictional place. Uh, none of this is true, except it is, or something, or something along those lines. I'd have to. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's interesting because I I thought when I first watched it, I was thinking, oh, we're going to get these little um, comic style intercut 
slides every now and then was my ah, first thought. Interesting. But we didn't. But I thought that would be an interesting narrative device. And the only time we get anything ever like that again is right at the end, which mm. we'll come back to later. Indeed. Um, yeah. There's huh. also there's also uh, accompanying this music is a very much a, a funky. I would say it was funky soundtrack. Uh, yes. So you do get George, George Layton. George Indeed. Layton. You occasionally get these guitar twangs to punctuate yeah. the action, which, yeah. which again, yeah, well, that's, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. I like it. No, yeah, but it, yeah. it's it's kind it's kind of weird in the sense that it's not it, it's immediately telling you when it is, and it's not how uh, it's not the kind of soundtrack that would have been on a 1980s drama. That's what I'm saying. Although, yes, although, thi- yeah. when you think about it again, going back to Edge of Darkness, there's a lot of Clapton. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'm I'm actually you say it was the same director. So you know, sorry, same producer. Yes, of course. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So so that kind of seeps through. You, you actually start to think that, that this A to Z we're doing is all connected in some way. It, oh, if you keep listening. <laughs> You'll start yeah. to see all these things yeah. connecting and the dots joining, and, and like we have some master plan in place. Yeah. And we've got a direct link in terms of acting this time with Peter Hugo Daly, who was Indeed. in GBH and is George Carmody. And I, I was couldn't believe it was him when I saw him. I was wondering. I, oh actually. God, the character I hated so much in GBH is in this. Yeah, <laughs> and I hate him even more in this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Peter. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Um, so. I think it's important for me to um, to confess something. Okay, <laughs> you were you were the model upon which this book was based. <laughs> no, not at all. My um, my university life was incredibly sheltered. I mean, I think I I played it all wrong. <laughs> Let me say, I was in I was in a, a long relationship during university, and so much so that it was um, I wasn't even Andy and this person. It was Karen and Andy, all the way through university. Karen uh, and Andy. Karandi. Yes, and. It's funny. Um, she's a Facebook friend now, but um, it's it's just a weird thing that um, he is someone now who I, I found relentlessly fascinating, and I mm. I really agree with a lot of the things he says. Right, and that is perhaps marks me out as a very bad person. <laughs> oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the sexual permissiveness aside, obviously, because that's that's bad and wrong. But the fact, you know, about all the stuff about risking yourself in free discussion, there's no such thing as fair. No mm. one's ever thought more about yourself than 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 about anyone else than themselves. Mm. Um, existing to argue, I was like, oh my god, he's me. <laughs> <laughs> or is he? No, he isn't. Yes, he is. No, well. <laughs> Even him looking in the mirror and saying, Christ, it's you again. I really right. laughed at that. I was like, oh, my God. So have you been, uh, have you been uh, toying with the idea of growing the Zapata moustache then? Yeah, I'm definitely going to get his outfits. By the end of the summer, I will be helping. <laughs> Warning you now. No, fair enough. Well, yes. I, I, well, I did actually. I have, it's weirdly, I have written down. On the on the page, the first page here, you've got Henry and you've got and I said, is this us? <laughs> <laughs> is this the people presenting this very podcast? Oh, funny! <laughs> oh dear, I've just put my hand through a window. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I'm busy having a perfunctory shag on the side during this <laughs> well, podcast. Well, obviously. Just, yeah, just, yeah, just so you know that. I think I feel that, that that's what people think is going on anyway when, when they're listening to these podcasts. Thinking, well, it's obviously their mind's not on it. <laughs> just keep your eyes open and see if you can come up with an answer to what seems to me will be one of the crucial questions of the 70s. Just at the moment of maximum entropy, when late capitalist structures are beginning to fall in on themselves, those of us in the vanguard of the struggle have suddenly been afflicted with an unaccountable paralysis. The enthusiasm, the fervor, the revolutionary initiatives of, what, three, four years ago, has suddenly dwindled into an extraordinary apathy. So... Are you meant to like Howard? That's my question. I think you're supposed to be charmed by him. Ah. Uh, but obviously, uh, in many ways, I think the uh, relationship he has with Henry, oddly enough, when Henry, at the end, basically tells him to go away. Yes, that's and strong, not, isn't it? And, and don't come back. Uh, I think that it's it's the frustration that this, having this uh, person in your life can actually... It can be very toxic, and I think that the the, uh, the 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 very much the the, the selfishness. I I, believe, I I would say it's selfishness. I mean, you could say he's much more open, you know, open to the world being a fairer place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But his fundamental, his uh, motivations and everything like that make him very difficult to like, unless you yeah. get to sleep with him. In which case, then then people. But I don't think the people who sleep with him particularly like him. No, they just, they do either. yeah, they're you know, just drawn he, to him somehow. Yes, he yeah. is one of those sort of charismatic figures yeah. that about whom people and things orbit, and you know, things happen in his surroundings. He, he, you could argue, he makes things happen. I mean, there's a whole thread throughout this where he is stirring the pot over the the visit to the university of uh, the fascist professor Mangle. Yes, and and every everybody is hearing rumours about this, and all these rumours have come from Howard, and yes. yet he is he is appalled and it's brilliant. Awful, thinks it's an awful, awful, awful thing that this man yeah. is coming to the university, but, even when he wasn't supposed to be coming in the first place. Because he's creating that drama, so he's creating the plot, <clears throat> he's creating the action, and that mm. is just an, in, such a fascinating thing. And the revelations in the final episode, I know we're leaping forwards, but mm. is that he is actually creating the stuff that could be the end, his own demise as well, because he's more interested in the plot and in action mm. than he is in his own security and stability. Or is it action or reaction? Is he, as a sociologist, yeah. is he interested in seeing how people respond to these things? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. or are the actual uh, reactions something unpredictable? There's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. I had no idea you drove about in motorised luxury. Thought you marched in every day under a banner. What time did you finish last night? About four. Don't know how you manage. Such a demanding party. Oh, all parties are demanding if you take an interest. Oh, yes, of course. The last thing they should be is fun. But you did take an interest. Of course I did. I'm a stranger here. Have to find out what you're all up to. And did you? Well, not yet. I mean, you're very interesting characters, but I haven't discovered the plot. Well, that's simple. It's the plot of history. Oh, yes, of course. You're a history man. Yeah, there's a lot of um, 
sort of definitions of sociology along the way, but the one that really stuck with me was when he, I think he said, it's finding out why the world is like it is. Mm. So that's what he's trying to do. He's always trying to find out why the world is like it is. But the way in which he completely differs from me is I think he, he lacks empathy entirely. Oh, yes. I am I'm cursed with empathy, but he is completely free of it. So that means he can just go through destroying things and being a destructive force because he and, doesn't worry or think about the consequences. And, and not caring if you upset people. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Which, and I've, which yeah. uh, as 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 someone was make perfectly clear, someone was worried about that far too much. So there is there is a there is a balance, and it is interesting. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the whole thing, <clears throat> the, the the whole thing about episode one. Uh, again, a lot of things. Uh, it it is a complicated story in the sense that you you need to pick up on these things. But there's a whole flippancy in the first episode about a suicide uh, that happened to a friend of a friend. Yeah. Uh, while they're preparing for the party. And there's a whole flippancy about taking Valiums and things, which, again, is of its time. I mean, to be fair, the promiscuity is, is very much... This could not have been a late 80s drama. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, things changed in the 70s, uh, maybe because of this kind of thing that was going on. But, uh, but yeah, so, th- so there is a flippancy about suicide where, where somebody left the message, this is silly. Yes, which again we have full circle on that. Later and that does go that does go yeah. around in a loop. And so, I, yeah. I did love his reaction to her around this all because she kept sort of like needling him about the suicide, mm. and she was like, he was like, "What? Well, what do you want me to think? Mm. You know, I'm not going to say this thing because I don't care." Mm. And I kind of related to that when someone tries to tell you something is important, but you don't emotionally connect with it. Mm. Most people will say, "Oh, that's terrible. Oh dear, it is," but. Mm. He's trying to be honest about the mm. fact he doesn't care about this friend of a friend because he never mm. met them. Mm. And even she didn't like him, I think he said. Yes. So it was it's like this fake sentimentalism that he's calling out um, there, which mm. I find interesting. Is that all? All what? All you have to say, all you can think. What is it that you want me to think that I'm not thinking? Doesn't it worry you that so many of our friends feel like that nowadays? Tired and desperate. But why is it? Is it our age? Is it that the political excitement's all gone? What's the matter? Our sort of people never used to think life was silly. Don't let it get you down. Take a Valium. You have a solution for everyone. Take a Valium, have a party, shoot a soldier, bang a friend. Look, Barbara, I know there's a fashion now for failure and despair. I just don't see why we should go along with it. Why not? You've gone along with every other fashion. And his relationship with his wife is is complicated anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like you say, I think you said in the introduction that they have a, a an open relationship, but it's not that open in the sense of um, it's... Yeah. It's sort. It's a very his is his is very open, but she has a relationship. But it's a very uh, formalized or it's a very one-on-one alternative yeah. relationship. Shall we yes. say it's it's not it's not several partners. It's a another partner yeah. who she goes to London to spend weekends with. Yeah. Who actually, when you get to it, when you finally meet him, I think it's in episode three. You meet him. Yeah, he is basically a proto Howard anyway. <laughs> He is. She's got yes, a exactly. Yeah, exactly. But he's he's kind of like a pale imitation, deliberately, mm. isn't he? Because he's going to grow Absolutely. into Howard. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. He's basically just a moustache. 
<laughs> but the fact that he has a moustache is key. And the oh. fact that he climbs up onto his bed to eat a boiled egg, I did think oh. that was very odd. A sort of captain bed affair. I was like, I was, I was very distracted by that in episode three. And <laughs> well, there we go. Episode three is not uh, <laughs> the afternoon. It's actually an egg in a bed. Yes, um, quite right too. I think she's um, she is interesting, but. I wish we learnt more about it. So like what you said about caricatures, that you mm. don't get learn enough about her. Uh, towards the <clears> end, you get to know, know more, and you, yes. there's a sort of horrible feel of it. But, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's Of course, this is uh, Geraldine James playing yes. Barbara Kirk. Yes. And talking about dress for success, she's saddled in the most terrible clothes <laughs> all the way throughout. I mean, she looks like a drag queen, I feel, a lot. And that's harsh, but I feel like she does. Well, it's that early seventies thing, you know. I have I have photographs of my mother and father's parties and the, these sort of floaty, high pattern <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah uh, they're absolutely spot on. Well done, well done, <laughs> whoever whoever yes, did the costume design. Yes, but I was design. thinking, I was thinking, is this something that Howard is has chosen for himself oh. as a partner, someone who is, I don't know, sort of like gaudily. Um, I don't oh, know. Interesting. I, I mean, I don't know because because he doesn't he doesn't strike me as the kind of person who buys her outfits or anything like that. Because but, everyone else is sort of willowy and yeah. sort of a bit sort of well, definitely thinner and definitely. I don't. I don't know. But obviously they have history, don't they? Because they have the two children and and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, so they've been together a while, um, and of course that's. Uh, that would have come through the 1960s, the mid 60s, I suppose, from the age of the children. So maybe yeah. you know, it's about it's about a seven or eight year old relationship, I would imagine, at yeah. this stage in the story. So, but but at at the same time, he is he is he is kind of, shall we say, shall we say, the ardor has cooled. It would let's seem. say that that sounds mm. good. That sounds like something Jane Austen might say. <laughs> Well, yes, that's, that's much, it's much more my, uh, my my area of understanding of relationships. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Repressed people in 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 dark attics. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, I get the, that. Uh, I understand that. That, that, yeah, that okay. makes sense. You know. Okay. Yeah. Um, I love the accuracy of it being term again. You're still having laugh. You're laughing at your own jokes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's... I'm just chuckling about what I admit to in these things. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's honestly, it's full disclosure from both of us. I think it's it's not necessarily a good advert for me. Is this just therapy? Are we? Are this, it's, it's, yeah. it's it's television as therapy. I feel it might be. Um, totally. The um the idea of this um it's term again. So he's given up on writing his book. He can give up on writing his book. Well, everybody's I mean, writing a bloody book, aren't they? But or failing to? No, he has written his book. And, having and Henry having has failed to write his book, yes, that's right. Having lived in academ- academia, having lived in that world, and mm. just knowing how quickly people are desperate to drop their books, I felt that was so accurate. And <laughs> finding out that Bradbury was an academic really made it clear why this was so well realised. But I was fascinated by the fact he was that Howard sociologically is writing about privacy mm. and the outmodedness of privacy. Mm. And there was a line which I thought, oh, my God, this is the line of the story. This is the line of the whole thing, which is looking forward to the time when everyone will know everything about everyone, mm. which is basically going back to the Internet again, isn't it? <laughs> well, also, yes, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's odd that you take that stepping stone and look at Beiderbeck, which which had it as a similar theme. And we, yes. And we, we were lamenting the fact that it wasn't as 
as much predicted as it as it turned out to be. But uh, yeah, so these are obviously sort of uh, themes and memes or whatever that were already in in the zeitgeist even then. You know. Yes. Yeah, which is, I think astonish it's, it's astonishing because that was obviously when he was writing in seventy five. He was looking forward to thinking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, the privacy issue is a key part of the plot because later Howard Kirk is under surveillance. Indeed. Um, so, but then also because Howard is a master of privacy, isn't he? He understands it. Mm. That should give you a clue that he's kind of on to the fact later on. Mm. He's on to the fact that stuff is going on and he's not that worried about it because he understands privacy and the world, if that makes Indeed. sense. Yeah. What's your book about? Privacy. Now that is to say it's about the outmodedness of the concept of privacy and the necessity for us all to have total access. It looks forward to the time when everyone will know everything about everything. So, I've got a question for you. Oh, OK. <laughs> I always is, worry about these. <laughs> is Howard a radical or a phony? Ah, <clears throat> well, I suppose that depends on how much you read into that caption at the end, which which is is not in the book. <laughs> but um, it's I, I think he's just a master manipulator. I mean, he's obviously very yeah. good at sociology, yeah. and, yes. um, and he under he he probably understands people more than than we give him credit for in many ways. He's yeah. he's he's very for him to have the life he lives, he must know how people tick, and you know, and he must use it to his own ends. As it were, um, mm. so um, I, th- I think I think so. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Well, <laughs> I've, Sorry, I just fizzled out just, then, didn't I? Just no. It's a, just so I can go show how um, base I am. I my, my next question <laughs> is: um, Did you write down Isla Blair's boobs? <laughs> Did I write? I didn't write them down. I, I wrote down there's a lot of nudity, but because I'm, I'm I'm obviously much more repressed and in my attic. And <laughs> it's all. I mean, it's, again, it's one of those strange and peculiar things about uh, television nudity is that the, the you know the chaps are always covered up. Generally, uh, you get the odd, yeah. uh, but 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 you know the women are very very much again. I, it's funnily enough, I, I suspect it it's 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 less prevalent now oddly enough because things are uh yeah. know, we are we are living in a in an era where these things are now uh, frowned upon in that sense but actually yeah. uh in yeah. terms of a studio session and um and what have you it's actually a very well done sequence you know and yeah. uh and Isla Blair you know um to be fair you know she's 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 uh, fearless in this you know and um, I mean it's interesting later yeah. on where, when um when there's the scene in the uh, the party with Miss Calendar, uh, yeah. is it Annie Calendar, um, where yeah. that's very much shot. There are these things where there are certain shots so that things are in front of things, <laughs> which is always that that framing thing, you know. Which uh, I I yeah. have a I have a I mean I, again I'm I'm not saying, although I, it, it is it is interesting watching this again. Uh, I do remember, as I said, very much enjoying this when it was first on and I would have been about 17. And I have, and I have, maybe my fond memories of it come from a different place that I'd actually repressed. No, <laughs> but the interesting thing about that is, is a friend, I've, I think I may have mentioned this before, but I have a friend who is convinced that teenagers were downloading Game of Thrones because they couldn't, they were too yeah. scared to download real porn. <laughs> 
Right. And yeah. I suspect that, you see, the, the, the sort of blatantness of Game of Thrones, this is actually much more, the, the nudity in this all makes sense in terms of the plot. But indeed, it's still, it's, 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 it's very much, it's very there, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think the peak moment is in the final episode when there's a kind of joy of sex look <laughs> to the fact of them sat on the floor. I was thinking this is totally the joy of sex book, which always looked awful, I thought, from the cover because they just looked so, so old fashioned. But, um, but very, very um, nice colored oh, pencil drawings, I believe. I need to ask you. So this is a very personal <laughs> question. Um, do you sleep with people in a trite way? In a what way? A trite, a trite way. way, because because Myra says that Henry sleeps with him in a trite way, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was so condemning. I've never heard anything so awful. Uh, and anyway, you don't have to. You don't have to answer. Uh, quite right. I, don't, I don't think I've got that interesting background to be frank. <laughs> to have, to have ever analysed anyway. it that much, I think it, I, I, it was more gratitude than anything. I believe. <laughs> Back in the day, we're learning learning so much. Um, I have to say, I've written down as well. Maggie Steed ah. is not a good act. Is not a good actress back in 1981. Oh, she certainly oh. shouldn't. That, that wig choice. <laughs> well, every choice. I mean, I just thought, is this really Maggie Steed? Because she's appalling, and it just shows that some actors come up. I mean, she's brilliant mm. later on, but she's appalling, and maybe just miscast. It, it could know. be. It could be just an early telly for her. Uh, yeah. And the other, and the other thing yeah. is that uh, some people grow into their um, their gravitas, if you like. They, they grow into it. Yes. Um, I mean, her 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 moment of glory is, of course, when she's um, the producer of Acorn Antiques. Yeah. In the... <laughs> yes. <laughs> which is quite some time off. But you also get Miriam um, uh, Margulies in this, which, yes. which surprised me. Actually, yeah, I, 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 I sort of, I, I, I'd kind. Of, it, I, I always think of Miriam Margulies. I know, I know she did a lot of uh, is it Oxford Cambridge, um, the Footlights. Yeah, not Footlights. Is it Footlights? Kind of stuff, anyway. And um, yeah, so comedy performer, I suppose. But 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 sort of absolutely hamstrung by a dreadful American um, accent in this. Well, not dreadful. It's just it's just very. It's why not it's, cast an American? That, you know, is what I was thinking. But, yes. But then again, she's supposed yes. to be a again a caricature. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. How are you, Melissa? Great. Now watch this. Mal, Mal, roll over. Mal, roll over, Mal. Come on, sweetheart, roll over. I never get it. I never get it. I do. Um, have I have I told you my Miriam Margulies story? I feel I fear I'm repeating myself. Do I need to get the bell out again? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I met her outside of BAFTA, oh. darling, whilst after dinner with Stephanie oh. Cole. As you um, do. And well, as you do. We'd fallen out with Ste- we'd fallen out with Stephanie Cole at this point, so it was so wonderful to see Miriam. And Miriam was more interested in talking to us than she was Stephanie. And Stephanie said, "You do know I'm Stephanie Cole, don't you?" And Miriam's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> "Not interested." Oh. And we're like, "We love." So we we love Miriam Margulies just for that Fair moment enough. in our lives when Stephanie did us wrong and we were able to um, to have a nice actory moment which didn't involve her. <laughs> 
it was literally just a few weeks after she'd done that really big first sort of like thing on the Graham Norton show where she really spoke out. So she was really at the zeitgeist okay. at the moment. So it was quite quite exciting to meet her at that moment. Wow. But yes, in this, she's she's very much, much a caricature until the final mm. episode. She's the one who gets to ask Howard or talk to Howard about whether he about him being a radical, and and. The only time I think Howard shows true emotion in the whole thing is when she says that he's a radical and she really respects him and he breathes in deeply. He's so plumped up and happy about the fact that that's how she views him. And it means more to him than any other emotion in the entire thing, which I find interesting. She describes him as a radical's radical. Which is about as yes. radical as you can be <laughs> on yes. the radical yeah, scale. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> if we had to scale, yes, if we counted this radical. radicals, he'd have ten radicals. <laughs> yes. Oh Jesus, that was a great day. Blew my mind. Things were really wide open. Will we ever be like that again? It was only a few weeks ago. A week's a long time in politics. Young people now, they, they just don't feel anymore. Seriously. Who, anywhere, now, is getting down to the real root radical problems of the age? Now, I'll tell you whom. Nobody. That's whom. <laughs> Who's authentic anymore? You seem pretty authentic. Oh, God, no. Christ. Really? Yeah. <laughs> You're giving me that shit. <laughs> I don't care what your friends say about you, Howard. You're a good guy. You're a radical's radical. The second half of the first episode is the party, uh, and then we move on. I mean, the the thing that happens at the party is that her friend Henry gets bitten by a by Miriam Margulies's dog. <laughs> he yes. bites his foot. So so you, then he he ends up in the bathroom at the party, messing with it with his bloody sock. <laughs> yeah. uh, and basically, at some point. Uh, he puts his hand through a window and the episode ends with a, a bit of a oh dear moment. I think he has a double oh dear moment. But um, he puts his arm through a window and nobody really notices. The party goes on yes. around him and and yeah. that's how that episode ends. And uh, we come into episode two with the party aftermath and yeah. that's what, <laughs> people only find out about this in the third party, which I just... Yes, they do, which is which is is very deliberate, but also awful. Yeah. But um, is it is it a flippant take on suicide again? Well, I mean, it's a clear. It, it, it's it it's described at some point as being it, whether whether or not it was a minimal suicide attempt. 
and <laughs> a minimal suicide and, oh and nobody uh, nobody really knows and it, or is it just part of Henry's general uh, this is uh, Henry is played by Paul Brook by the way uh, yeah. who who is always that actor whose name I can never remember but ha- it was famous for having the lazy eye yeah I would never have been able to say his name yeah I feel like he's I feel like he's in every well yes it turns up quite a lot in, yeah. in, 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 in big films as well, you know, as as a slightly sinister man. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in this he he plays the rather rather uh, put upon and unfortunate and accident prone uh, <laughs> and thousand and one other things, um, Henry Beamish, who is yeah. uh, who is uh, yeah I suppose he's the nearest thing that uh, Howard has to a best friend, <laughs> for want of a better word. Yes, but that's because he can manipulate him. It's not that he can control. It is that he can control him, isn't it? But I think he does care about him to a minimal degree. Yeah. <laughs> but but not really. Mm. But it suits him to have him around and to have him as an ally. I think. Yes. Doesn't it? There's also uh, yeah. there's also very much uh, this uh, this uh, relationship he has with the world is probably like I say. Uh, if you have an audience identification figure. <laughs> I have the horrible feeling he's probably it, you know. Okay. But um, yeah. but uh, all this happens over a, a an appalling breakfast at the at the Kirk's house. <laughs> Do you remember the the appalling yeah. breakfast with the children? Where where they? Yes, but I didn't. Are you saying the children were terrible? No, I'm, I'm just saying, saying the, the actual appalling breakfast, oh. where where neither okay. of them really are very interested in the children. They seem to have gone through a a whole um, swathe or swath. Of um, no, it is a swash of um, <laughs> of various nannies to look after their children for them, all of whom seem to be yes. students that uh, Howard has manipulated into into his life. Yes, which uh, yeah. at this point uh, I can't remember the name of the one that disappears at the beginning of the first episode. But by this stage, it's going to be Felicity. Now, Felicity yes. is one of the students that uh, Howard had sex with in his study. Uh, late in the party episode, and <laughs> yes, in a very perfunctory way, very much going through the motions. You can tell he's not really enjoying mm. it, and she mm. is because she's bagged the, the lecturer, the sociology yeah. lecturer. But 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 he was yeah, actually it's, hoping it's, somebody it's, else would come to the party who he's he set his um, sights on. Yes, who Annie Callender. who he misses at the party, and who actually sees this happen, yeah. or at least we we were told later on that she didn't. She, or she couldn't have seen it, or something. But uh, he, she can, he can see her through the window. So we kind of assume that uh, it's six or one. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I always yeah. got a bit. I got a bit uh, lost with who saw what at what point for that uh, when it crops up later. I, I do. Th- I do think that that was just poor direction, right. or you just couldn't tell. I think it would have been much better to have a long shot from below to see her looking down mm. through the window. But it didn't kind of mm. work. I thought that was a problem of mm. production. But, but um. Andy Callender is our second English literature lecturer of our run. Ah, okay. <laughs> the, the first being Guy Pringle. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're so alike. <laughs> so similar. <laughs> Stick a wig on Branagh. Absolutely. There. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, can we talk about sexism? Um, so I, I, there's an awful but funny line about Simone de Beauvoir over breakfast, which is... Um, and they're asking who Simone de Beauvoir is, and he tells his kids that she helps she helps women to get angry at men. <laughs> yes, I do have that. Written down, yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. brilliant. But but 
the sexism in this is is quite staggering. I mean, later on you've got the the husband who goes to the party after the twins have oh, been yes. born, and and I kind of like um, he still sh- shags someone at he the does. party. And doesn't he shag Barbara at the first party? I think so. I, I, or am I, I think, making yes, that I think up? That, yeah, that's that's certain. It's 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 certainly implied. I think it is actually mentioned, to be honest. Yes. And at the committee meeting, mm. there's this line where he's talking about how difficult it is being the fa- um, being the husband of the woman who's pregnant, and it's like, oh, what an awful test for you! It's someone says, and it's like, what an awful test for him. We're we're we're, so, we're going to, we're going to say that this uh, is probably very much the world. As it was in 1972, quite frankly, unpleasant though it may and be. And 1980 and, ni- and 1981 mm. as well, mm. to a degree. Mm. But we have to talk about this, and we have to work out whether we think it's sexist in 1981 or whether it's only sexist in 1972, and also whether it's deliberately sexist. I don't like cornflakes. Look, would you mind exercising a bit of parental authority and getting to eat his sodding cornflakes? Are you going to eat your sodding cornflakes or do you want me to throw them out of the window? Throw them out of the window? Christ, a man who's been professionally trained as a social psychologist. He can't even get a child to eat a cornflake. Well, why don't you give them wider options? Weetabix, Rice Krispies... Mind your own business. I feed this lot. It's not wider options they want. It's my endless sodding attention. It is wider options we want. We want the endless sodding attention as well. Will you eat your cornflakes? Otherwise, you'll die. Wonderful. You don't have to go to school if you're dead. They give your crayons to another person. Will you shut up? (laughs) You encourage them. (laughs) Who's someone to both work? A woman women read. Why? Well, she helps them get angry at men. At you? No, not me. Not me. I'm on their side. I mean, like like we were talking about earlier, you know, the the directorial choices in terms of the female nudity, I uh, specifically might make. We do get ha- we do get Howard in a very small pair of bikini boots <laughs> at one point. <laughs> I think I may have blanked that. <laughs> but yes, no, it, it's it's very much. Um, it, it's kind of you know you you almost feel the the cameraman, the lads, you know, whatever. They they don't no one ever seems to question it back then. Yeah. Whereas obviously you know if if, if a chap got his tinkle out that would that would they'd have to reshoot everything. His you, know? <laughs> you know. You know. <laughs> if you see yeah. what I mean. Is there anything else you want to bring out of episode two? Well, I, I did. I did want to. It's funny. I, I I know. I know. It's it's not really a theme, but it's a theme throughout the whole thing. Is these these scenes in the lifts. <laughs> The yes. lifts seem to be a character in this one. <clears throat> I know I've said about yeah. stairs and things, all particular buildings being yeah. characters, but yeah. the actual the, all the important information or all the important breaking ups and, and coming together and all the leaks and everything all seem to happen in the university lifts. They they are always rammed full of people, <clears throat> and there are always but massive plot is, points yeah. going on in earshot of everybody. You know, there's a there's a thing well, these days yeah. uh, that uh, we have is that you know how people don't seem to have um, boundaries anymore. You know, they will have the most intimate phone calls on on train. Well, they used to be able to have phone calls on yeah. trains and tell the entire carriage the intimate stuff of their sex life, and then scowl at people because they're listening in. Um, and <laughs> it's kind of like this. This is the precursor of that. This is where that comes from. People who who want to have discretion. 
they don't have these conversations. It's interesting at one point Howard uh, takes um, Zyla Blair to his office to have the rest of a conversation because he doesn't feel it should be they should be talk, having this conversation yeah. in the lift. But uh, most but, of the time, especially when he's trying to spread the word about this Professor Mangle, <laughs> everything is at full volume in lifts full of people. He, yeah, he's deliberate. He uses the lift as his own personal poster board, sort of thing. Notes board. That's that's how he uses it. And it's no, there's no accident that in business you have people making elevator pitches. Elevators or lifts are key elements in your armory when you're trying to rise up the ranks. As yeah, and I think, and I think it's it's you're right. It's definitely a character or a device that's important. I think the the other interesting thing about episode two is in in both instances. Uh, we meet both Carmody, um, the the yes. uh, very uh, very. I, I, what would you call him? Uh, would you say it was a right wing student, or or a straight laced student, or just a posh student, or or all of the above, or he's just not I, I your typical down, sociology student? I, certainly, I wrote down such a Tory. Prig yes, no, that's that probably the best way. I wish I'd written that down. It would have saved us a good good twenty <laughs> seconds then. <laughs> But uh, he has a, he has a briefcase. He has a stack of books. He's he, he's yeah. told not to call him sir. He keeps wanting to refer to him as sir. And why is he there? Why is he there, Martin? Why is he studying sociology? It's not his at major, a is it? And Steel University. But he he, he oh, says it it's not? not his major. It's, but he ha- so he has ah, that he has to sense. do sociology as part of his uh, and they, and this is the thing part of his other um, course. Ah. And but he has to pass this to pass his degree. Uh, and basically, right. uh, Howard has taken against him. <laughs> but who can damn well blame him? I mean, <clears throat> I was just like, I was with Howard all the way. I was egging him on. I was like, destroy him, destroy him. He's dreadful. Not he, least because he's played he by the sum- Peter Hugo Daly. <laughs> yeah, that just didn't help matters. But he spent the summer shooting in Scotland yes. at one point. He says, and he wears it? a blazer and, with a badge, which is always. And yeah. he basically doesn't follow. The brief no. of the essay he's set to do, or the task he's set to do, he's not set to do an essay, he's set to lead a seminar. And he is physically and congenitally unable to lead a seminar because it involves free discussion, yeah. putting himself out there, and also being open to other people's opinion. And that's why he's such a Tory. Yes. He's so rigid and so close-minded that all he can do is sit there and read out So while everyone has to listen and get bored to death. Yes. And I was just like... Whatever happens to this character is too good for him, is what I wrote down. <laughs> Theories concerning the workings of social change with special reference to Mill, Marx and Weber. One moment. Yes, sir? Are you proposing to read all of that? Yes, sir. I am not, sir. I don't want your deference. Now, would you tell me what it was that I asked you to do? You asked me to read Mill, Marx and Weber and draw some conclusions. And then I asked you to start off our seminar with a spontaneous verbal statement summarising your findings. Right. I did not ask for a formal paper the length, by the look of it, of a Victorian novel. Yes, I was going for something a bit more developed. Oh, I don't want anything developed. I want development to occur in discussion. I'm sorry, Dr Kirk. I felt this was better. Well, it's not. So put it away, take it outside and then briefly outline your impression. You think I haven't done the reading, Mm. sir? No, not at all. I just think you've made a heavy anal job of this because you're a heavy anal type. And I'd rather that you risk yourself in the insecurity of discussion. I'm sorry, sir, I can't do that. Of course you can. I know I'm an anal type. If you like, I'll bring a chit from counselling in future. They know I'm anal. (laughs) 
Yes. And of course, the the interesting thing about this is that he, it, his thread for the rest of the story is that he feels that he's done good essays that have been unfairly marked. Now, yes. actually, the minute you meet him, you know he couldn't write a good sociology essay to save his life because <laughs> no. he has no understanding of people. And you get that and you understand why his lecturer wants him to change and actually start seeing the world from a different point of view. And the fascinating thing about this is because also in this episode, you get to meet Michael Hordern, who is yes. playing the... Oh, God, I've forgotten his name. I can't remember his name. I just wrote down Michael Horden whenever he came up, rather than his character uh, name. I will um, find it. Professor Marvin. Marvin, yes. yeah, which I thought was a weird name. I didn't ever get no. on with that. But anyway, So Professor yeah. Marvin, who basically when he thinks he's he's being unfairly treated and has actually been thrown out of this seminar, Peter Hugo Daly, mm. uh, Car- what is his Carmody? George Carmody, goes straight to the, the head of department and has a sherry with him. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and we find this out because there are two glasses on the table when, when, uh, when Howard is, is summoned and he is yeah. offended by this this corrupt accusation <laughs> and there's all this talk, yeah. talk about it but he's a gentleman and he wants him banned and making <laughs> and everything and this basically is how episode two reaches its conclusion uh, so we are now at lunchtime on the uh the third of october 1972 yeah, i must say one i think my favorite line mm. in the whole thing was one of um one of howard's lines about george and it's when he's it's when he's defending his behaviour to um, Professor Marvin. He says, "George is the only person in the university with a trouser press." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, what brilliantly rich writing! That just tells you everything you need to know yes, about that guy, does. isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, fantastic! He's the sort of person who. Like, I remember when we went to the beach um, sometimes when I was at Exeter at university and there'd always be one person who was in a suit when they went to the beach. And you'd be like, no, you've got to wear casual clothes. It's just, oh, these people are just... You should feel some sympathy. And I'm kind of worried that I don't feel any empathy or sympathy for him whatsoever. Uh, Carmody, well, I I think about it is he's he's actually such a a weasel because he he genuinely... uh, throughout the rest of the story he 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 what he feels he's been treated unfairly and in many ways he is treated unfairly but actually when you when you realize that no he's actually a git he's a git he's a git who wants the world to 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 be you know give him his degree without him actually actually having to learn anything and there's a lot of that or do anything that challenges yes, him. Absolutely. Or challenges his, his, his worldview. That's the other thing. I mean, yeah. the whole thing about his royalist, royalist garbage worldview. This yeah. whole thing <laughs> about this uh, sociology within the context of this story, and obviously in, in the in the wider world, is it's you're supposed to question, you're supposed to ask questions, you're supposed to look at how things join up and and reactions and what have you. And he fails on every complete score, and still uh, Professor Marvin wants to give him what a B plus is it or C plus or something? <laughs> you I know. know. Uh, whereas he has been given straight Fs for all these 20, 20 massive and you know this is why these people who it's book learning over real world learning, isn't it? And that's that's yes. kind of basically <clears throat> book learning is what gets people into our government these days, unfortunately. <laughs> Thank you.
I was left confused by halfway through the drama at the end of episode thinking, what am I meant to think about this? Or is it just that I'm not meant to think and I'm just meant to experience this as a drama? Do you know oh, what yes, I mean? Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I, well, I mean... I, I'm not sure I mean, I feel it's not very message-driven. Yeah, but I think it should get you thinking. I mean, even if at the end... Of, I mean, I don't know whether... <clears throat> I don't know whether uh, audiences, uh, people who watch television, watch it in the same way you and I do. <clears throat> Sorry. But um, you yeah. know, they, maybe they don't go away and go. What have I learned from this? Or, or what? What times yes. he sends on? I literally don't know. Uh, you know, I, I always like to think that the art of television writing, not that I've done any, is to try and get people to think or try and you know get them to engage with an idea that they might not have previously engaged with. And if people yeah. go away from drama thinking, "Oh, that's interesting. I'd like to know more about this," they can always visit the website. No, um, <laughs> they can. They can. Um, you know, they can take something from it. Equally, you might just go, oh, he's a, he was a prat. What's on next? It's very hard to yeah. say. Um, you like to think if people engage with a four-part drama that at some point they are actually going to say, yeah, he's right, he's wrong, or I don't like him. or but, You know, this is why we used to have programmes yeah. like Did You See, you know, um, yes. which we don't really have anymore. And Open, open, Air, open Air was mm. another one, wasn't it? Where it was, yeah, it was talking about the TV mm. and Points of View was... To a degree, but, that was but you know, again, it's the fact is that you you have film reviews, you have television reviews in the paper, but we we no longer really uh, engage with television drama on uh, on uh, television. It doesn't talk about itself right. anymore in the same way. This You're is right. probably why people end up doing podcasts and, and and getting into trouble for actually saying when they don't like something. <laughs> <laughs> You're really worried about this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they've got a fun club, but you know. Yeah, I'm just worried that Robert Lindsay's on Twitter. That's all I'm worried about. Anyway. Is he a very good friend of yours? Do we need Babel again? No. Never met hey. him. Never met him. Neither um, Can I just say two things from episode two before we move on that I forgot about? Okay. One was that um, um, I loved the fact that um, Flora, uh, Isla Blair, is totally onto. Um, Oh, yes. she understands him, and I love the way she time keeps their sexual liaisons. <laughs> it's very much, you know, like well, two the clock, ding. <laughs> yes, yes exactly. And she'll only carry on sleeping with him if she br- if he brings her interesting tidbits of information. <laughs> and I think that's just a weird, weird relationship. Yes. But it's like it kind of is mutually beneficial. I think she's definitely in control sexually with him. Indeed. I feel, which is important. Because cause it's not the case in, I think, in his relationship later mm. on. Um, the other thing I wrote down is Jane Slaughter. Right. Um, who, good Lord, she is Tracy the barmaid in EastEnders for like nine billion really? episodes. Okay. And she only has like two or three lines here, but I don't think she ever really, she's she's more of a sort of an extra really, mm. but it's just, I couldn't believe, I, why did I vaguely recognise her? Ah, she's been the barmaid oh, in EastEnders okay. forever. Right, yeah. Ah, uh, well, you see, uh, my, my yeah. EastEnders experience stopped when uh, Michelle left. So, Michelle. Yeah. That was the last episode Michelle, of EastEnders Michelle. I ever saw, weirdly. Yeah. Which is quite a while. Yeah, I haven't watched it for yeah. years. But, um, so anyway, how can we talk about drama? Now, don't we watch soaps? What am I doing? Uh, yeah. But, uh, one more thing is about episode two is the Michael Horden impression <laughs> that, um, that he does, which I really enjoy. <laughs> I'm going to play oh, that okay. in now. <clears throat> addition to item 17 <clears throat> on the agenda of this afternoon's department meeting 
Yes, fun. Because you don't realise how much Michael Horden clears his throat <clears> when speaking, <throat> and you realise it's actually hugely part of his acting. Oh, indeed. It? I've um, <clears throat> well, um, <clears throat> yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's part of your podcasting. Episode three starts, and in fact, arguably, is mostly about the endless oh, but brilliantly observed it's, departmental it's meeting. Fabulous, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's about. Uh, 30 minutes of the actual episode isn't it it's it's one yeah. well, at least it feels like it's it's wonderful it really is wonderful it is just it just drips with truth i mean i've been i i've chaired meetings i've been a president of a european group so and with all the nationalities and just all the issues about are we quarret whether things are on the agenda whether someone gets to oh. vote because then whether visiting or whether they actually there as an observer all that stuff is so true and so I've I've had to endure it for so yeah. long that by the time I finished my university career in 2017, I actually refused to go to any <laughs> meetings that weren't cha- weren't chaired really really well and fast, and which involved anything where anything was read out that you could have been sent by email yeah. in advance, and without if it didn't have action points and assigning people to do stuff, then I refused to attend. So there were so many meetings yeah. in Cambridge that I absolutely just. I would just say, no, I'm not coming because you've proved to me you cannot run a meeting and it's of no value and it's a waste of money. Um, and I got quite a reputation for being this... Awkward bugger. ...bastard about <laughs> meetings. Yes. <laughs> but if it wasn't going near, I would just walk. I would just get up and they say, where are you going? Well, no, this meeting's a waste of time. But, but it's not actually... Funnily enough, it's not actually just the academic... Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I was very briefly uh, a union rep when I was a... Well, when I was at work, oh, I was also very briefly a man. union rep uh, as a student union rep. And I, I once yeah. attended a meeting where I'd been there three hours when the people who uh, from another site never showed up. And they turned up two and a half hours into this meeting, told us we never had a quorum <laughs> and told us that none of the votes we'd taken were valid. And I thought, yeah. And so that kind of resonated uh, with me. Uh, having having oh, having yeah, lost totally. my entire Thursday evening, <laughs> I do I, yes. I just remember driving because I was in town. And I had to drive home, and I got got to the bar just as it closed, <laughs> and I just <laughs> I just managed to I managed to order myself about three pints because I was just so oh god. And that was when pints were about fifty p a pint. It was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that but that Brilliant. again is massively irrelevant to this. But but I think we've all been in these meetings, and this meeting, yes. I, I kind of feel in many ways, instead of the rest of this podcast, you feel you could just play that in because it is, it's so dripping with satire, but it's so brilliantly structured and there's so many quotable lines in it that you just think, yeah. you know, the, the, the one that I, um, the one that I wrote down was this, this, when they get to the point where they're, not, they're trying to prevent us inviting someone we haven't invited. Yes! And people are offended because, because this whole discussion of whether, whether this Professor Mangle should be allowed to come to the university at all, which has all been set up by Howard. Yes! <laughs> should, it, and, and now oh. they're told they can't invite him, they're offended by this, so now they want to invite him. And yes. and the uh, the other... Oh, God, where is it? There is a... The convolution of that is just brilliant. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, scene. And if, if you don't watch anything else from The History Man... Do watch episode three because it's just yes. the meeting of the academic academics, academia yeah. is yeah. stupendously wonderful piece of television. 
Why do we need external examiners? Now, please, what? I don't see why we have to have external examiners in the first place. I move we stop having them. Seconded. Oh, very well. For the motion. Uh, just one moment. What? On a point of order, Mr Chairman. I can see nothing on my agenda to suggest that I might be called on to consider whether or not the department continues to use outside examiners. I do think we should confine ourselves to the business in hand. Yes, Doctor, um, yes, yes, is quite right. I'm afraid the Chairman must declare that last motion out of order on the grounds that it is not on the agenda of the meeting. Yes. I propose that from now on we be allowed to discuss, if it be the wish of the meeting, items not on the agenda of the meeting. Uh, no, I'm afraid I must declare that proposal out of order. Why? It is not on the agenda of the meeting. And it's interesting the fact that none of them will want to miss it, even though it's dreadful. And that's something I'm fascinated by, because like, even though Henry Beamish has, has got 27 stitches, I think, <laughs> in his arm... <laughs> He still is determined to get there the next Absolutely. day. Because it's the next day after the party, Absolutely. isn't it? Because it's the departmental meeting and you can't miss it. And I think it's partly they're enjoying the the inanity and the and the the pointlessness of it because they're being paid. Academics are being mm. paid. And they can come to these meetings and waste so much time, usually at the expense of the chairman. And I think there's a they're they're reveling in being difficult and it not getting anywhere and that's a deliberate I think people have got different agendas in oh, that yeah. meeting but I, I find it but all their points of orders and their motions defeated and all the language of it is just so hilarious really when you actually look at it in yeah. context and of course you've got this 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 sense that you remember the the, the, the beautiful thing was when the tea earned <laughs> and yes. everything stops for this cup of tea and then they have to vote on whether they want to continue and then someone says, well, I'm going to have my tea in the other room. And it's just... I know! I know! And I was like, I know that person. <laughs> I know, I've know. i had those people on my committees and I've wanted to kill them. Yeah. But, um... And, and after, and after like with, three and a half with... hours of this meeting, it turns out that Miriam Margulies can't even be there. <laughs> yes! Or she's an observer and can't vote. Having... She's furious. <laughs> she's furious. I have been in that position where I thought I could talk and I couldn't at a meeting. I think it was in America right. somewhere, and I was like, "Oh my god, okay." You see, you <laughs> so have such more exciting life than I've ever had. You do that, <laughs> <laughs> Martin. This is doing doing librarianship. It wasn't that exciting. No. Um, so yes, after after the meeting, uh, how would how would <laughs> go to the bar with with uh, with Henry, who who with who yeah. has one arm completely bandaged up. And buys himself some crisps, yes. which I just think is very funny, yeah. and and the fact that they managed to buy a round of drinks and some crisps for forty seven p, which just just fills me with joy whenever the price of drinks in in old dramas turn up. It just you yeah. know it's like I does, there's no. there's a there's a lot of stuff there's um there's a lot of stuff in uh, in old American films where they'll sort of say steak and eggs and it's say like thirty cents or something. <laughs> just, <laughs> and you just think what you know or um or uh, even the, the price boards in something like last of the summer wine which are just you know pie and pie and chips 3p <laughs> you know so i i just lo i just love an old oldie worldy price uh in in a in a, in a yeah. and i think again if you if you need something that absolutely dates a place to its time 47p for two pints and a bag of crisps is is one of those things I still remember being staggered by um, Battlefield when it set it was set slightly in the future, mm. wasn't it? And wasn't there a two pound coin before we had them or something? And 
that was the reverse of that. It was kind of like, but now it's a complete <laughs> historical artifact of how they can pay with a two pound coin. It, it, it was it was a funny joke in the script, and it's now yeah, it's not you know, yeah. it, it's it's oh car cars again. Sorry, cars. Um, so I think that Carmody is surveilling Howard oh, yes. in a Renault in a Renault Four. Yes, which was was my dad's car. Oh, he had. He had a procession of Renault Four, so it was like my parents' yes. cars through the. That's funny. I had a friend who had one, uh, who ended up being an airline pilot, and he wrapped wrapped one around a tree. So I've always, <laughs> I've always, I've always dreaded the idea that he might end up being my pilot one day. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of my very few memories of this guy is him, him, him being a terrible driver and wrapping a Renault Four around a uh, no a lamppost. It wasn't a tree; it was a lamppost. Yeah. I just think my dad must have been such a. Such a stereotype as a curate mm. and then a vicar in a, starting off in a cream Renault 4 and then he bought a blue Ooh. Renault 4. Oh, it was just awful. Uh, awful. Anyway, I just thought that Carmody being in a Renault 4 was perfect. It does actually, br- it does actually bring us back because there are a couple of scenes that are shot of uh, Howard driving the dreadful minivan. And yeah. uh, there's quite a lot of, uh, again, because it was just shot on roads in presumably uh, around Bristol and or Lancaster. Uh, actually, the, yeah. there are lots of anachronistic vehicles if you want to look closely enough. But there you go. Uh, but if you there. want to look closely uh. enough, and you know, I also I don't notice there's a booming shot in the uh, in the breakfast sequence as well. So, <gasps> um, you know, which, yes. which just proves, if nothing else, we were watching closely. <laughs> Indeed, there was a line that I I, I underlined, which was, um, "I haven't been so bored since confirmation classes." <laughs> 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 Again, I, I relate to that very strongly because I had to endure confirmation classes. The worst thing was that my confirmation classes were led by my father. Oh, oh. anyway, so that level of boredom, yes. I, I, I very strongly relate. But it, to. I mean, just and, it, it does I, show how, how how very much the um, you know the, the dialogue is sparking and the, the other uh, sparkling, even, but sparking as well, actually. Weirdly. But um, you know, when you get to the uh, later on in the episode, because they then have to discuss why these bloody essays are so bad <laughs> yeah and what and, and the whole I, 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 again i don't know whether you, whether you remember it uh, but this when when he phones michael horden or, or michael horden phones him and he calls him back and they have this conversation about dull and tedious essays and the marking system yes and my favorite line in yeah. that is a high standard of nothingness for a failing person <laughs> <laughs> brilliant line yeah. oh, it's absolutely sorry. sharp as a tack uh, the academic life stuff yeah. in this is just absolutely wonderful yeah yeah. Um, but also the um, the often not talked about corruption of academia and how subjective it all mm. is and how you know he could convince people to mark it in the same way and how it's very much down to the lecturer and whether the lecturer likes mm. you so I've got a story around this. When I did my master's degree at Loughborough, of all places, in library and information science, mm-hmm. it's not a science. It's a shitty degree. Um, you only learn libraries by doing library work, I believe, in terms of management anyway. Um, little short um, hobby horse moment. <laughs> over. But I did, this, I did this master's degree. And there's this guy he really took against mm. me. So much so that I ended up not putting my name on my essays. Okay. And instead, I put my candidate number, right. which was a way of identifying it as mine. Mm. And suddenly, lo and behold, I got good marks. Interesting. And 
and I'd get comments on the end of the essay saying, "Well done, candidate three five one." Oh, he didn't bother to actually. Because it was obvious. <laughs> It was obvious that he knew who I... We didn't know who I was, but he was... Yeah, as you say, I couldn't be bothered to do mm. that. Uh, but he, it was it was interesting. And uh, the, the punchline is, this guy was really short, mm. and I'm really tall. Mm. And I'm convinced it was a short person syndrome thing that was going on. <laughs> That's my story of being marked poorly by an academic mm. because of my height. Yeah. Should should see how, how much bloody use a graphic design degree is, isn't it? <laughs> Well, for, read also library yeah. degree, honestly. God's Although, sake. to be fair, I mean, uh, as we've always argued, sometimes the only reason you can have the job is because you've got the degree. And and yes. ultimately, it becomes, in and of itself, it's it's serving that function and very few others, you know. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, if you, if, you want, if you want to get into old stories, we had we had an argument about how... Uh, pay in the studio in the place I worked was a lot lesser than the engineers, a lot less than the engineers were being paid. And and, and they said, well, they, they have to have a degree for that. And and our, our head of uh, office turned around and went, well, so do they. <laughs> oh, but it's art degree. It was basically drawings what the thick kids at school did. <laughs> and that, wow. that went through into you know the professional world. We had to have that qualification or our qualification to get the job. But then they completely yeah. failed to recognise that you had one or needed one. It's very old. Right. It wasn't a professional. Yeah, old stuff you wish you'd known when you were 18, I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing about libraries I always experienced was that people didn't realise we had a, an actual professional qualification, even though I don't really rate mm. it. And people would just think, gee, they've just decided one day, gee, I want to be a librarian and just walked in there. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I mean, my, but, my better half works at a university still in the admin department. Occasionally they get, they get, ah. they get some um, uh, smart-ass sort of comes in and says oh well if I fail my degree I'll come and do this job and they say yeah you wouldn't be qualified because <laughs> they, yes, they all have to have a degree to do their job you know? yeah. <laughs> so we we have sorry we've gone completely sidetracked you have to cut all no, of that okay. no no it's good it's good no no I like it towards the end of episode 3 we have Geraldine James going to London yeah. and flirting with a guy on the train because she's bored out of her yes. mind and also Howard going to the fair with Felicity Felicity Fee. Yes. Felicity Fifi, 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 and what did you make of that trip to the fair? And it's um, it's interesting. I I feel that because I mean, obviously, the episode is technically just that afternoon, but I feel that this is actually over the weekend. That we were at some point towards the end of the episode, it becomes the next day. Um, Yeah, it does. You're right. And you know, okay, we don't get a caption for that, but you know, we kind of it's implicit. A lot of it's there, really, to give. Carmody, some some material to film. I think he has. Yes. He basically he takes he takes. What I can't understand is he goes off to have sex with Felicity in the car, but the kids are still at the what fair. What are the kids doing? Well, this is what I think as well about the kids in the party scenes. I mean, if the nannies are at the party, where are the kids? Yes. And I worry about them coming across naked people here, there, and mm. everywhere. So I just hope there's a grandmother nearby or a grandfather because I just mm. I, the children were kind mm. of afterthoughts mm. to the drama sometimes. There is there is a there is a, a moment uh, when he's setting up the party in the first episode where he puts these chairs that are supposed to block people from going through a certain door, and I just assumed that was to do with the children. But basically, it seems to be that they they take absolute joy in anybody in anybody any of their many bedrooms of this strange squat terrace that they've 
done up and yeah. acquired. Um, that and so you kind of think, yeah, I hope I hope the kids aren't there, really, you know. Yes, exactly. Which again, I suppose, in that sense, does that make you? What does that make you think about the characters of um, of Howard and Barbara? Does that make you think of them any differently? You know. I'm I'm just now yeah, thinking of, I mean, of an ever decreasing circles good life crossover where where Barbara gets off with Howard, but let's not go there. <laughs> gosh, um, sorry, I've just the... I've suddenly made made the names <laughs> just stuck in my head. Sorry. <laughs> yes, dear. Um, <laughs> oh, Tom. I, I, I completely lost my. That was all right. As well because of you. No, okay. The children. Um, no, I was going to talk about the fact that Carmody's footage mm. of Kirk. Yes. And Fee mm. um, is taken at exactly the same angles as the direct as <coughs> it's directed in the in the drama, and I was wondering whether that's is that just an accident of production and that therefore it was just easier to take a similar shot for comedy, or is this saying and this is why I think it's saying is this a narrative device to say that this isn't all this is art- artificial oh. this isn't actually real anyway or are we all comedy are we all george oh yes oh. <gasps> that, good that's frightening isn't it we are the people stalking and following yes um, we are stalking and and there's no privacy if it's the bbc it was probably just budgetary <laughs> we're not shooting that twice <laughs> don't spoil my point <laughs> <laughs> this is look. This is a story it. of three affairs, two parties, and two meetings. What? what <laughs> yeah. Why can't you shoot that twice, for God's sake? Yes. Yeah. I can't tell you how I detest all this. It's almost as if you wanted it to happen. Accusations. I've always thought of myself as a very busy man, Howard. I mean, my diary is pretty full. But if what Carmody says is true, I can't imagine how you found time to wash and shave this last week. What does he say? He claims to have a record, a fairly circumstantial record, of your promiscuous sexual activity. Okay, episode four, Gross Moral Turpitude. Mm. It's an interesting choice, (laughs) isn't it, that that they call episode four Gross Moral Turpitude and the other ones are just dates Mm. and times, aren't they? It's, Why is that? Well, I mean, it, <clears throat> again, at this at this point, we are assuming the downfall of of, of Howard is inevitable, and yeah. and he's I think he's he mentions gross moral turpitude in an earlier episode as to this is the only thing they can get you on. So, you know, that's uh, that's possibly uh, you know it, the stakes are high. This is what we're saying now. The stakes are very high. Yeah. For all our our, yeah. our much loved characters, the stakes the stakes <laughs> have. Um, have really uh, uh, got quite high, and of course the episode opens with Howard in bed with Felicity, and yeah. and basically Barbara is uh, met off the train, and we meet her actor friend, who um, who she's going to spend the weekend with, who is as we uh, a sort of diluted version of of uh, Howard. Which again yeah. makes you wonder, maybe, and this may be reading too much into it, is maybe she made Howard into what he is from this this oh. unpromising material. But anyway, yes. at, uh, over the course of this weekend, it turns out that this actor has suddenly become a successful actor, or is off on a world tour for seven months. And yes, going to do much ado. And so and all her weekend yeah. flings are about to stop, and we uh, we so, start to suspect that these are the things that are actually keeping her sane. 
Yeah, and also they also show her sexual naivety because mm. I think she thinks she's got something special with this new guy mm. for whatever reason. Yes, but it's just as meaningless to him yes. as the sex that Howard. And he says there'll be pl- there are plenty of others. I think that's what he actually says to her. Yeah, plenty of others yeah. like me. Yes, he does. So um, again, this is this is a whole different world to the, possibly even the one we grew up in. Really, I mean, this is this is not. Um, it's just not the way we believe. Well, you know, you like to think that people live their lives, but maybe other people do, you know? Yeah. It's, um... No, okay, no, no, go anything. on. <clears throat> um, one of the things that I, I enjoyed early on was the, the scene between Marvin and Kirk when he's confronted with the record of his sexual activities mm. and the fact it's been commi- committed to film... Yes. I think it's staggering for 1972 yes. the fact that this guy actually filmed on really expensive you know film this this stuff. Yes. It's like the idea of someone doing that then I think is staggering isn't He's it? He's posh knob and he had I mean I don't know, it's quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, t- to be honest the, the sort of home uh, home uh, cine cameras were were not uncommon you know. Okay. But because um, basically that's what people did before video t- you know video home video c- uh, cameras came along. So you know I mean, yeah. you know, if you think even back to the time of the Zapruder film, you know, people were taking home movies. Yeah. And this is why mm. people are still paying a fortune to get them converted now onto onto disc or, you know, into a digital yeah. format. So people, yeah, you know, people who liked cameras, you know, or, li- you know, they did that sort of thing, really. I mean, some people, you know, mm. I mean, people, some people bought video, some people, you know, there's always been people who like very expensive cameras, you know. So I suspect yeah. it's, it's kind of... I, I, the problem is I can't really imagine Carl Muddy actually having a hobby. <laughs> so you almost no. feel he may have gone out to buy uh, the bloody thing. Shooting. Just to... he sh- shooting. He he did shooting, remember? Mm. So you sort of think so. he, he he may have gone out to buy this thing deliberately to, to, to get this thing. And the other the other yes. interesting thing about this is uh, this is the point. Uh, they have featured in an earlier episode, but, but Howard is having a... Uh, seminar with two of his new students, his, two, his new first years, and and yeah. they and they, and he goes on about the, how they're trying to fire him, and they, and they're very oh we'll we'll stick with you, we'll 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 back you up. So we feel that maybe 1973 and 1974 are lined up. <laughs> yes, totally. Uh, he's basically do, this is yeah. how he charms his you know he charms his, uh, his students. Uh, anyway, like you say, the, the, the film is presented, <laughs> and again, uh, not wanting to try and connect the dots with everything. But if you remember, there was a scene in uh, Doom, the Doom Watch episode we watched, where they all sat and watched a film. So, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's starting to become <laughs> the interconnectedness of all things is starting to happen. You know? Yeah. So, so Michael Horden has this wonderful line at the end of all that when he says, "This is one of those bleak moments when I'm pleased I lead such an utterly empty <laughs> life." <laughs> He's chuffed. And he's absolutely chuffed. Because <laughs> he's thrilled that he's not having to deal with what Howard's having to deal yes. with. And this is a very clear theme in this whole drama of the History Man is that there's the tension between action and history mm. and and emptiness and boredom. Mm. And Howard is very much thinking, I'm here to make history. I am the History mm. Man. That's what he's there mm. for. He's to, to act and to make things happen. Mm. Whereas Horden is actually... He's not. He is. He has. He says he has an utterly empty existence, mm. and it's very much academic and all that. Mm. And obviously, sometimes that 
perturbs him, mm. but in this moment, it's fine. Mm. And then you've got Geraldine James, who is as bored as in confirmation class. Yes. And and you've also got Henry, who clearly isn't happy. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's this tension between action and inaction, mm. I think, is a, is, is a definite theme. And it's whether it's whether it's a good or a bad thing. And later, when you discover that Howard actually knew knows more than he's letting mm. on, then it just shows how how much he believes in action and making history regardless of the consequences mm. even if that is bad for him yeah because um what, what happens then of course is that uh, he actually goes you see him on in this on the street and he's tracked down uh, Annie Callender's house basically because she she makes yes. a very big point yes. of of not letting people know where she lives and and he goes to visit her uh, and you think it's to basically save his career you know by manipulating her into into saving his his career and he ends it ends up where she re- very reluctantly invites him in for a cup of tea and oh in the end they end up in bed so there we go <laughs> Wait. and i think this is this is this is a surprise and it's also probably the most challenging thing about the whole drama mm. i would argue and that is that she initially is shown to be in power as a woman mm. and in control and not not taking up on mm. his advances and actually spurning him and then she suddenly has this it could be read as weakness mm. that she gives in to mm. him well there's this this sense that somehow her life is unfulfilled because she's living in this isol- in this isolation and he is he is some kind of route to her having a, a fuller and more interesting life uh, yes, this idea that's just because she likes old furniture, but and it's quite mm. a nice appointed little flat mm. I, house, I thought. And I think, why does that necessarily mean frigidity yeah. or or inaction? Um, yeah. Just look at this room. What's wrong with it? It's very convenient. It's a hiding place. Somewhere you can escape from life, sexuality. Love. Somewhere you'll dry up and wither and hate and grudge. Ten years here and you'll be nothing. A neurotic little old lady. I don't want this. I can't bear this. So they have they have quite a long conversation about sort of um, you know about actually Carmody and you know that he's not a fascist he's a, he's just a person he's a frightened boy all this kind of thing and his naked self interest and and she denies everything and everything like that and in the end I mean she actually says at one point I don't want this and then they still end up going to bed <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she's she's convinced that she will dry up and wither. Maybe there is an element. Well, this is this honesty. is his charm, isn't it? This is this thing. This is he's big. Yeah, but I think is there an honesty about sex here that like without sex, then we're not fulfilled, and in that sense, she isn't fulfilled. Mm. But the problem of that is, as soon as you got Howard sleeping, yeah, having yet another conquest. Mm. Then that is problematic now, as it, and, and it's problematic mm. then because it's like everyone's willing to drop their knickers yeah, for it's him. Charming the pants and off, I believe, is the expression. Yes. 
and it's a question of whether that's really denial and whether she retains any power after that because arguably in the drama Mm. she becomes less of a character after she goes to bed Mm. with him and she sort of withdraws she's never as powerful again Mm. she doesn't have any speeches Mm. and she's literally reduced to being a sex object Mm. at the party um, with with long flowing blonde Mm. hair you know and it's just but she's also shown to kiss him openly at the party isn't Mm. she which I was surprised by and I think that was to show to imply that she's had a new freedom and she's got a new sort of like confidence but she was confident before but in a different way I think it's the bit I struggled with the most. It, it's 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 her. basically uh-huh. in in some ways it's af, 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 after there. Are, I mean, there are quite a lot of uh, proto-feminist um, discussions throughout the uh, dialogue, but actually in the end, she is saved quotes by sleeping with a man, which is is you know, it's yeah. just it's just it's 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 a it's a it's a tricky uh, corner to turn if you like. And I would say it's a conclu- it's a conclusion that is written by a man. Mm. I can't see a, a woman writer reaching that conclusion. No. Well, I mean, we talked about uh, uh, Alan Bleasdale sort of having some sort of write- writer's fantasies Ugh. slipped into the plot. Ugh. So maybe maybe it's a, maybe yeah. this is what writers do. <laughs> I don't yeah. And actually, this is an important point that we we should consider when we're choosing things is a good smattering of of women writers as much well not smattering Mm. but an equality of women writers as much as male Mm. because well you can't get that because tv archive tv was not written so much by women but it's an important it it should it should be part of our selection well the the big hitters that that get mentioned in terms of television drama writers do that there are there are very few uh yeah. Women's names on the list, unfortunately. I mean, that would be, that yeah. that is is the nature of the television of the time. I mean, there are more recent yeah. uh, series where that's different, you know. But um, yeah, it, it's it's a, it's it's probably a topic <laughs> we should come back to. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So we have this situation that um, there's the sit-in, which is very seventies protest oh, university yes. and. And we have more lift action. Yes. And there's a moment where you get stranded outside of the lift at the protest. Yes. By um, and it's a it's a show of power by Flora. One thing I don't understand. Please explain mm-hmm. to me is what happens between Flora and Henry because I don't get it. Um. Well, she basically um, takes him on as a project, doesn't she? And, yes. In a very patronising way. And somehow we are supposed to. <clears throat> I would imagine, uh, if if you think back, oh, you probably don't remember, but there's a there's a there's it's something in in the second series of very peculiar practice where Jock's sap is suddenly reborn, his vigor, right. and I think it, I ah. think it's the same kind of thinking is that he his his sexual interest is 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 reborn, and so his his right. marriage is. Uh, Saved. I mean, this, the fascinating thing about Henry is what we get is uh, <laughs> his his They actually quite have, have quite a lot of discussions over his accident-prone nature. Uh, but he, there's yeah. this whole scene where where having having had the twenty-seven sixes in his arm, Howard drives him home and he gets trapped in the car and dragged along the driveway uh, in episode <laughs> okay. three. But in episode four, there is some some vague references made to him having a snake incident whilst gardening. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, 
Uh, yeah, but we are basically... Uh, so he ends up... This is why he ends up in hospital, actually, weirdly. It's the snake incident. And uh, Howard being, I don't know, who he is, uh, a man with who has only got one functioning arm, he takes him some bananas. <laughs> no, he's not in the hospital because of the snake situation. He's in hospital because of the... Oh, falling off the table. Yes, so the snake incident didn't get him hospitalised, but falling off a table... But that's just a previous Sorry, yes, accident. Right, yes. <laughs> oh, dear me. Yeah. But anyway, yes, his, his many incidents... <laughs> lead to mm. him being hospitalised and we get the scene with the bananas um, which is interesting and this is where he is finally rejected by by Henry yeah he says that really strong line I dislike you like, you want everything for Henry like to everything. for Henry to say that mm. you know that's a big thing for Henry to oh, say yeah. because it would kill him to say that because he's not that sort of person well they have a long history don't they? they've actually, I mean they, they've yeah. known each other since uh, you know, the, the, for a very long time so they are yeah. long-standing uh, friends who... Th- this is the final straw, you know. But yeah. that was not the moment to abandon your well-known talent for seeing the other person's point of view. It's not your point of view I dislike, Howard. It's you. I see. It's never, you see, the causes one objects to. Generally speaking, the causes are admirable. It's those who rise on the backs of those causes. It's only natural you're upset. I'll leave you now and pop back in a day or two. No, don't. Don't leave you? No, don't come back. The thing is, we should mention the whole thing about the protest generally. Uh, yes, there's a, there's a wonderful There's a wonderful thing in the background where you can just see uh, uh, one of the you know, signs for the papers that's on the newsstand, and it just goes on about Nixon's massive majority, which just... <laughs> Again, just yeah. it's something that sort of caught my eye. But basically, um, Professor Mangle gets ready with and his many cats. Uh, he gets ready to go to this lecture. Has a very near miss with a departing uh, Carmody, which is basically the only inference you get that his 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 university career is over. Yes, he's, he's there with his massive trunk, and he and he nearly knocks over. Uh, Professor Mangle, who promptly dies of a heart yeah. attack. <laughs> yes, and that was a choice, wasn't yeah. it? What was the, what was it? What was that saying? I, Tell me what. Well, that was I think saying. it's basically to add a, a whole load of irony to the fact that all these machinations are in vain, and all the protests are in vain, and the protests go on, and really all Henry tries to do is explain that he won't be coming. <laughs> And because of the yes. nature of the protest and all the cheering in the lecture hall for Kirk, because everyone's there to stand up for Kirk, um, and, and Henry tries to make his speech and falls off the bloody table. Uh, I'm afraid I must ask you all to disperse. This lecture is forbidden by radical opinion. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think there's there's a there's a slapstick feel to this. Yes. To Carmody's exit and Mangles 
heart attack. And it was kind of like... We, we dip into fast, dip, I believe, Andy. It felt like it wasn't taking itself seriously to poke fun at the drama. Mm. And in a knowing way, mm. not in an accidental way. It was saying, life's a bit silly like this sometimes. Yeah, and things unravel. And, and maybe that that's yeah. the whole thing. It, oh, oh, this is silly. Yeah. This is yeah, silly. The, the farce starts to, you know... To the farce of life, the whole fact that you know, sociology, whatever, you know, life is a very unpredictable and farcical thing. Oh, I like that, and Good. and that's where it's taking us. I think. Yeah, I I had a note here as well. Why is Fee suddenly American in episode four? She suddenly starts to have an American accent in one scene. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck's going well, on? Well, again, I mean, her her arc is just, she just has very much changed i mean uh, she uh, there's there's a whole uh, there's a funny thing really right at the beginning is is the reason uh the first nanny leaves is because she keeps getting lectures on being exploited whilst being exploited by the kirks and yes. i think basically where we are is this this the, the the party at the end of the of the serial which is presumably later in the term i don't think it's immediately afterwards it's maybe a couple of weeks later no. or, or yeah. Or a few weeks later, um, we feel that over the course of this term, Felicity has changed and been, well, for want of a better word, radicalized, and radicalized to such an extent that she really doesn't like Howard and his uh, family anymore, and so she is in yeah. the process of departing as this party, this second party, is being arranged. And whilst a lot of the things that happen at the second party mimic what happened in the first party, like say the 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 uh, the uh, the father of the twins, who were were in the process of being born, the last one, uh, doesn't he? I, I think he had. Is it Felicity he sleeps with? It is, isn't it? Yes. Yes. You know, it is. Uh, He's a rotter. So there are that. kinds. Of, yes, he is. Yeah. But there are kinds of parallels with the first party. Just the the players have moved around, and obviously Howard has his uh, liaison in his office downstairs and this time it's with Miss Callender in in like like yeah. we say in the, in the very much in the artfully shot uh, joy of sex kind of way pose yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, Felicity then finally walks off giving a flea in the ear there's lots of very good soundtrack which makes me wonder why how this ever got a, a, a DVD release but... yes that's what what's what we were saying. How did this ever get released? Given this, given the music yeah. on it, I was really surprised. I was thinking, did they release it without clearing <laughs> the music? But it's the BBC. It's a BBC, so probably we'll hang on to our copy. Yeah. Yes. Um, but um, I was surprised to discover that Fee, played by Veronica Quilligan, mm. or rather Veronica Quilligan, actually had a career after mm. this because I do think it's one of the poorer performances in it. I don't. Mm. By her performance, I, think, I mean, maybe she's they say the radicalized. I mean, her, her voice maybe changed because she's become this harder character. I don't know. It's it's, mm. uh, but also it but turns guess, out that she she yeah. was the one who who grassed him up, um, right. in terms of uh, comedy. You know, yeah. she she was the one who dropped him in it basically. You know, but Kirk encouraged that, didn't he? Mm. Kirk told her we discovered. So Kirk had in had, was involved in getting her to say. Mm. So he'd been playing clever buggers yeah. again, Kirk had. Yeah. Have we upset you in any way, Felicity? No. Just I'm into something else now. I'm joining a Hare Krishna establishment. I wouldn't have thought that was quite you, Felicity. I don't think there's a lot known around here about what's me. I mean, I've done a lot for both of you, haven't I? How? Oh, yeah, great girl. 
We sort of hope to get something out of that. If it doesn't work out, well, we've got to keep on moving. That is your opinion, isn't it, Dr. Kirk? Oh, I see. You've already discussed it, have you? I mean, I don't say there's anything necessarily very smart about his advice. You're angry with us. I'm sorry. It's all right. You're just not my scene anymore. I'll come to the party anyway. And basically, as this party's going on, we get the um, the scene with uh, Miriam Margulies that we touched on before about the radicals radical, yeah. which is a very charming yeah. scene. Uh, and mm. in parallel, Barbara is um, doing her nails and being very uh, on her own in the bedroom, which ends, of course, with her suicide attempt, which is what ends the uh, series. Except, and then, for the... and then the quest. Yes, well, let's come to the sentences in mm. a minute. But that suicide attempt. Again, is that a minimal suicide attempt, or is it is it flippantly dealt with, or is it is the implication this is serious? Like I say, I think in in terms of the uh, the the two parties, the same things happen, but the the faces change. Yeah. So basically, in the first party, it's Henry who puts his arm through the window. In the second, it's Barbara. Uh, you know. Uh, and the people that Howard and this sleazeball lecturer <laughs> sleep with are different, but they they go through the same the same actions repeat themselves. So we we're, yes. we're almost in a kind of uh, you could say that their lives are in a in a loop, you know. Yes. But um, the the again there there is there is I suppose the message to a certain extent is that there is a price for the path you choose to take, and the price is now. We assume. I mean, we don't. We we don't know whether Barbara survives this. Um, I no. mean, the, the book doesn't. I mean, that's also where the book ends. Um, yeah. uh, 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 and like I say, the on, the only additional information you get in the drama is the captions that come up at the very end of the program. So the caption is that Kurt goes on to become a professor of sociology at the at the University of Dewsbury, <laughs> which I thought is a lovely nod forward to all those universities that when they first came up, people were like, oh, that's not a university, it's just the old poly. <laughs> um, but more stunningly and just as shockingly as Barbara attempting to kill herself is this discovery, this, this revelation that in 1979... Howard voted Conservative. Yeah. And that is deliberately juxtaposed with the suicide because it's meant to be just as shocking. Yes. It's... And, yeah. It's not... Yeah, I mean, it it is. I mean, I don't know whether that is uh, the author, the director, the BBC, or just... Or actually, they had a conversation with Bradbury and he he may have said it in an interview. (laughs) Yeah. No, he's obviously he's the kind of guy who now would have voted for Thatcher in in nineteen seventy nine. So, it's it it is strange. Of course, of course, the 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 um, the suicide attempt is. Uh, she writes on the mirror that this is silly. She writes on the mirror. Um, yeah. So that again is a thread that goes right back to episode one. So that the, yeah. the the parallels are all there. In many ways, you could argue that you know nothing changes. <laughs> yeah, but of course, but it but. The fact that he votes conservative is, big shows that it does yes. change, and I think, in that way, I think this the history man is a treatise on the collapse of socialism in the seventies, 
and we came out of the 60s with this view that we could build and forge a new yes. future, a new way of people relating to each other sexually and sociologically. And by the end of the 70s, by the end of the decade, that's fizzled out. And well, what it, replaces it... Thatcher said there's no such thing as society. So, yeah. Um, and, and then we've got this horrendous capitalist society that replaces it. But then you have people like Howard who have... have gone to the end of their principal journey mm. and now are voting Tory. Mm. But does that happen to everyone as they get older? This leads us back to Edge of Darkness mm. where you've got all those people at the university saying all these wonderful things about how they're going to how they're going to save the planet and we made the comment well probably 20 years on they're people who are voting Tory. <laughs> so you know. Yeah, same as it ever was. It's, yeah, and it's kind of Watching these dramas, it does, it is making me more of a nihilist than I was. I <laughs> Sorry, nihilist, nihilist. Yeah, it's yeah. The thing about 1979 election is that is the first election I remember. Right. Um, I lived in a suburb of Newcastle at the mm. time, and I just remember all the posters and just how big a deal it mm. was. And I remember it being a crucial turning point, even at seven I realised it was a crucial turning mm. point and it absolutely was wasn't it it was just a sea change in the world um, of the UK world anyway mm. and yeah it was it was clever to end it with that particularly as this was made in 1980 only a year later yes well I mean say, I imagine that the, the no such thing as society speech might have already happened by that stage so it, it right. may well be a reflection on on the new Conservative equally I mean the BBC were at war with the Conservative Party from day one really uh, back then um, yes. they were seen as you know this this sort of liberal left wing thing that we're constantly criticising again this is where you got uh, Tebbit and what have you Fasc what always fascinates me about the 1979 election well two things really is that I was about 15 and um, so I was actually uh, I was uh, I was a paper boy I was delivering newspapers and so I yeah. was very exposed to the headlines. So, so, right. so a lot of the headlines that sort of featured uh, during that campaign and and then because, you know, I, my dad was socialist, you know, I, I mean, I've always had socialist. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's any secret from the stuff I put online. Um, no, or for you me. Know, <laughs> it's uh, it, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, so I, I and I, I genuinely that was when I first picked up on the unfairness of the press uh, from posting yeah. all these bloody telegraphs and sons through people's door you know but the other thing I and, yeah. and I and I can honestly say I remember this the Saturday after the uh, election that uh, Mrs Thatcher won I was actually in London because I used to I was a Methodist <laughs> ah. uh, my, my parents bought me up Methodist and and we used to go on these Methodist um, weekends uh, youth weekends in London and there was, then they would do a regional one in October, but in in May there was one in London, and on the and there was always we did a, there was always a rally, you know. Yeah. And I remember on that very Saturday, and I genuinely believe that we were the first march that went through London where I got a shout of Maggie, 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 out, out, out. <laughs> Two days oh, wow. after she won, and I remember wow. getting that. Be, be, uh, considering how unpolitical the Methodists were supposed to be, I just remember getting a few of my my loyal uh, 
<laughs> loyal circle back then. And I genuinely believe we yeah. were the first people to do that. I may be probably wrong. They probably yes. did it on the night of the election. But <laughs> in terms of being no, on the that's march, I, and that's, that is one, one of the things I remember about that election. Mm. I can <laughs> Again, it probably is completely irrelevant to what we're talking about, mm. but, it, but, no, uh, no. but it, it felt that at least there were a few of us left, but it did feel like at that mm. stage there were very few people left. And of course, you know, the, the modern politics now it's the people you find. It is turkeys voting for Christmas, and it's very difficult for me not to see the seeds of that being in people. You know, if you like, like, like that people like uh, Howard would have done that. You know, it, it, it's it's the turnabout. Yes. It's it's self interest over gre the greater good, and and basically yeah. self interest always seems to trump the greater good, no matter yeah. when and where you are. I tell you what, what is making me think now is I would love to see what Howard was doing in 1992. I would love to see a 1992 version of it where he's still at a university, but he's older and hasn't got the same sexual charisma. Mm. He's still probably getting it off with a few students, but I just would love to see how he changes academically there is. Um, and politically. By, yeah, no, there, yeah. there is there is a, a genuine sense with a lot of uh, television drama is that sometimes things feel very much self-contained and over, and that's satisfying, and you don't need any more. And there are other ones that you watch and you think, well, I really want to know what happens next. You know, I, I don't know whether uh, I mean to be honest, I don't know whether uh, Bradbury ever came back to Howard in in later books. I don't know whether it that that no. character you know you almost feel oh if there'd been a series of books you know set 10 years apart that would have been that be would have been a fascinating brilliant. thing but, yes because um, it would have charted the history of of the the rise and fall of socialism indeed and, yeah and of, you know and and yeah. and i don't know i mean wh whether or not history man 2 or history man 3 you know uh, there's um was it sam was, was filmed in, by ITV in the sort of late 60s. Oh gosh, I love Sam. Yeah. Sam is one of my favourites. And it had, and it, but it was three different actors at three different ages. Oh, yeah, you know, brilliant. And yeah. and that is, you know, and you kind of feel that oh, Howard Kirk would have been an absolute delight for that, you know. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether it could have happened or would have happened, or whether Bradbury was not even interested mm. in it. But um, you know, it, I, I I would I would I would love to be able to go back. And, and see more of Howard Kirk, which probably says a lot about the series, really, and the book. Although I would say I only care about what happens to Howard. Mm. I don't care about any of the other characters, but I think that's what you're meant to feel. You often find with these things that they that somebody you liked in the previous series gets gets a line where they say, oh, yes, he was hit by a bus in 1978 or something. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Yeah, but... Yeah. but uh, yeah. But no, I mean that's that is the beauty of this kind of character. I mean, in the same way it worked yeah. with the Francis Urquhart, you know, which was another yeah. another H we could have done strangely. Yeah. Um, so, I think the one thing I haven't talked about enough, okay. and I've got it on a post-it here, is story and plot, and that is the idea that narrative and story and plot is all. It's all a question of whether how much of this is a social is a is a construct, an artificial construct, mm. and how meta the history man mm. is, and the fact that it knows it's a story, mm. and the choices it made makes in terms of the comic start and end, mm. and how real is it? How much is it created? How much of the action is created? 
artificially by Howard is an issue, and how much is actually just. I don't know. It's I, I'm just fascinated by that. There's a lot of talk with um, in episode four with um, with Annie about telling stories, mm. your angle of vision, mm. being able to see through windows, yeah. not having the whole plot. I, I um, would. I just think it's interesting. I would argue that that is actually part of the function of the adaptation of the novel, rather th- right. rather than the the drama written for television. I think that ah, may be the fundamental okay. difference. Is that a book is structured in a particular way and television drama can be more flexible and open-ended and flashbacks and flash-forwards and yeah. and yeah. in a way that when you... A, a novel... I mean, obviously, you can do more with the novel because you can do anything at all on the page, but the adaptation of the novel uh, tends to follow the structure of the book. Yeah. So I, I, would, I would argue that maybe um, that would be the difference between this and strangely enough coming off the back of GBH that and, and this is really what I was sort of saying earlier if if GBH had had been written as the book maybe the adaptation would have felt more satisfying yeah I think you're right I've, I've, you've convinced me of that now well I mean you know it, it, it's you know, it, 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 it's a possibility I, I do think I do think uh, you whenever anyone adapts you know any I mean you think Fortune to War was an adaptation when all said and done um, yeah uh, Bidebeck was written as a series for television that was adapted into a book, except for the middle series, which was the other way around. But um, yeah. you know, uh, All Creatures was, you know, a very loose adaptation, adaptation. of an Camp- idea. Campion was quite a close, yeah. close adaptation. So, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think the, sometimes the structural nature of of the, ad- the thing is, you you don't want to disappoint the readers, if you like. Yeah. I mean, there is a, there is a book. I think it's the there's the author, and I can't remember his name. Is it? Um, he he adapted Tank Girl. He wrote the adaptation okay. of Tank Girl, the movie, and he hated the film so right. much that the entire plot of the film is in about half a page of the book, and he wrote his own story. Okay. And he just said, "Oh, this is all background, and this is the consequences, and the actual events of the film happen in about half a page halfway through the book." Oh, so, uh, but whether that, as a reader, would be, uh, you know, you would be disappointed because you really want the book of the film, but but equally, mm-hmm. when you turn it around the other way around, the film of the book has to satisfy, to a certain extent, the expectations of the reader. Yeah. So I suspect that's may it, you could argue it hams, hamstrings, you know, but weirdly, mm. when you think about it now, uh, the. To the three of the this is the eighth, isn't it? The eighth of these we've done, and I think four yeah. of them have been adaptations of literature, and four of them have been written for television. So we're on about fifty-fifty yeah. on that. So yeah. Uh, so what the, the the sort of two patterns are sort of becoming, you know, we're becoming aware of the two patterns, if you like. Yeah, absolutely, and they're, they're different constructs mm-hmm. and have different, yeah, qualities. Um. Yeah, I don't know whether that answers the question you were asking. But... No, I, I think I think it does to a degree. Um, I would love to find out how a new adaptation of the History Man. Say, if the History Man was made mm. this year, well, it would, nothing will be made this year, but next year, <laughs> if someone decided we're going to take up the History yeah. Man, because that was Michael Bradbury's most famous novel, mm. it's set in 1972. What would the October 1972 
look like today in TV drama and what would the drama involve? How long would it be? How would it display the sexual politics differently? What would the lens of 2020 or 2021 give to that drama? I'd be really interested to see I, I, I fear there would be helicopters and explosions. I, I, fear, <laughs> I fear that somebody would suddenly die halfway through unexpectedly. Uh, oh. No. Do you think? Oh, I think that's too damning of TV no, today. No, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of modern telly. But uh, no, I just. I just feel the the sensation. I mean, there's there's always um, there's always a, a theory uh, that if you make a period drama, it always tells you more about the time it's made. So if if, if yes. you made uh, if you made David Copperfield and you made a different version of David Copperfield every year for thirty years, the one the the thirty year one would be a very different animal to the the first yeah, year totally. um and it it's it's just the way things are put together the sexual politics would be very different they would have to yeah. be even if it was supposed to be a you know a period piece it would it would be played i feel it would be played more arch to be honest yes and i think howard would be mocked more and yes he would yes, and there's very few occasions of him being mocked the one case that springs mm. to mind is when there's a comment about how his father is a baker yes and he's never quite got over that. It's a chip on his shoulder. But he would get but he I would get was... called out. That's the point. He would get called yes. out yeah. in in modern drama, and you know, rightly so, probably. But nevertheless, um, it would it would change the nature of it. Um, yes, it would be a different beast. Then it wouldn't be what Bradbury's vision was in the time. And it's whether you keep that capsule of time mm. and preserve it, or whether you use it the lens of the present to say something new about about that person yes oh gosh that's deep mm. and of course more helicopters <laughs> and more plus helicopters well, no, I've, bring me the helicopters well, I, mean, I suspect the student sitting would shall we say be yes more, would more be more explosive <laughs> yeah more helicoptery not actual helicopters but helicoptery no, and, exactly what and lots of now. helicopter parents as well <laughs> yes totally now oh my god <laughs> Oh, Lord. But there we are. Yeah, that's what universities do now. That you know, they contact the parents mm. about course course requirements because they know that that's the only way the kids are going to. Oh God! Strange new world. Yeah, anyway. yeah. It's, 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 it's odd when you actually start to look back fondly on 1972. Isn't it? Well, I shall always look back fondly on it because it was the year of. Ah, oh, of course. Well, there we are. Yes. So, um, wonderful. Um, it was a surprise to me this series, mm -hmm. but one of the best surprises of all was that I actually do enjoy difficult drama, <laughs> and that it was just an aberration of detesting GBH. Mm. It was such a joy to watch something that I really was enjoying, and I was like, "Oh, phew!" Mm. I was actually worried that GBH had broken me <laughs> in some way. <laughs> well, genuinely, I was like, "Maybe I just don't like television anymore." Mm -hmm. That's how impactful it was. I mean, we've watched a lot of it recently. It's true. I mean, but we might get to letter L, and and GBH will have been released then, and we might find out what the world thinks of <laughs> our opinion. No, we might find out what eighty people think about that. Episode. Yes, well, that's not the world. No, well, it's the it's the world it's the world of our audience. <laughs> it is true, true, true fact. So wonderful. I've enjoyed going back to the history man. Um, it's the plot of history, Mark. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> And this is silly, but that is part of the point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Yes, we're going to do the chemistry time. man next. <laughs> no, 
Next time, we are going back to the Julio-Claudian emperors, to I, Claudius, Indeed. or I, Clavdivs, as everyone calls Clavdivs. Oh, Clavdivs. Okay. Marvellous. See um, you then, then. Yeah, cheers. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy and Martin. Next time, I Claudius. I can hear of next door which makes me think mm. I'm talking to myself I don't know why I'm talking to myself I think I'm just trying to drown them out <laughs> you know I'm recording you <clears throat>